Welcome to Filmographers, the podcast where I watch an actor's full filmography and then tell you about it. I'm your host, Lenny Burnham, and my guest this month is comedian, writer, and creator of the audio drama podcast Arden, Sarah Golub. Hello, it is me, Sarah Golub. I'm all those things. (laughs) Thank you for the very concise intro because I always goof it up. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. And we are going to be talking about the beautiful and talented Sebastian Stan. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Sarah, I like that you picked this for your second actor because we talked about a lot of the DC movies with Amy Adams. And now you're back and we're going to be talking about most of the Marvel movies with Hell Sebastian yeah. Stan. Hell yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about your your relationship to him previous to watching his I think I need a therapist to really dig into my relationship to Sebastian (laughs) Stan previous to this podcast (laughs) um I'd say he's like my number one celebrity crush which is very confusing for me because I'm an aromantic asexual and I'm like I don't want to do anything with him (laughs) I wouldn't even want to meet him honestly I don't think he'd have anything to talk about um but I love his work I love it. Uh, He's just so good at being like sad and angry in like a specific way that I find very interesting. Uh, Yeah, I'm into it. He's like a character actor, but full of CW shit. I don't know how to really explain this. (laughs) That is such a good description because he's not a CW lead, even though he's beautiful. He's very clearly a CW third build. And yet, like, simultaneously a little too good for that without acting like he's... I don't know. It's... He's having fun out there. He's having fun out there. (laughs) Having fun out there being very sad in every character. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to get into his filmography? Uh, Yes, let's do it. So, the first thing we have is Tony and Tina's Wedding, which is a uh, movie version of... The stage event, Tony and Tina's wedding. What did you think of it, Sarah? I thought it was fun. It was it was mostly nice to see a bunch of actors who end up getting bigger uh, be in this, yeah. like, clearly small budget movie. Because, like, Mila Kunis is there and you get to see uh, Bucky Barnes and uh, Frank Castle hanging out, <laughs> getting high together. <laughs> I think I, I watched this right before... I started registering the Punisher guy as a person. <laughs> so I missed out on appreciating him. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of fun. Um, I just felt like the whole time I was like, I bet this is a fun stage show. I bet when they're actually dancing near you, it's fun. Yeah, I don't, like, remember things about it. It it didn't stay with me. There wasn't any, like, ah, that's a great zinger. <laughs> yeah, it's also weird because he's also in Rachel Getting Married, which is a very different movie, and yet, like, similar enough that sometimes I would, like, confuse <laughs> scenes. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. 
the next one is The Architect, which I mainly remember being the like first time we see his classic angsty gay role. Yes. Um, to my knowledge, I didn't, I think he's in an episode of Law and Order that I wasn't able to track down because it's from a gazillion years ago. Uh, the architect is not good and it's very disappointing mm-hmm. because the cast is incredible. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of these movies I encounter that have a bunch of like relevant A-listers and are just like not a real movie that anyone has heard of and it does feel like there's some sort of tax scheme, even though I'm not 100% sure what the scheme right. is. Like, um, Sebastian Stan plays Hayden Panettiere's brother, and they are both <laughs> Isabella Rossellini's uh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like, truly feels like if there's a movie that has Viola Davis and Isabella Rossellini and Sebastian Stan, uh, like makes out with Paul James like it should be a good movie just like it feels like there should accidentally be great scenes and there's not even like accidentally good moments (laughs) no it's a really it's a really bland movie it's it's Malcolm Goodwin I just it's I don't know why like no one is able to turn in a good scene in this film because like they're all great actors (laughs) Yeah. Um, this movie also is like it's the um Sebastian Stan is a sad gay teen in this movie. Um and in yes. everything he's in. <laughs> he's found a niche. Um and the I guess love interest, so they don't really I I I has I would hate to call it a relationship with this film, but the quote unquote love interest is uh Zach DePaul James who plays uh I'm mostly from the he's done a lot of stuff. It just I mostly know him from the ABC family show Greek, where he uh <laughs> plays a less sad gay teen and Sebastian Sam plays gay girls, and it's one of those things where it's like both of these actors, I know for a fact, are down to do, like, actual love scenes with other men. Like, sometimes actors are uncomfortable with that. And I I have seen both of their work, and they both seem fine with it. And it has one of the worst sex scenes I've ever seen in film. Uh-huh. It's just, like, atrociously filmed. <laughs> they don't want... Yeah. It's not... Obviously, like, it's framed as not, like, a good, sexy, fun time. But it's also just, like, awful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's not well fit. I don't know. It's not a good movie. And you'll know, maybe you're like, oh, this actor and this actor. Maybe it's don't, don't, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Lenny, want to add in on anything? Uh, <laughs> no, it's honestly, it's such a bland movie. I think you really covered it very well. Uh, yeah, it was uh, really the only thing that registered with me is like, Oh, this is where he first uh, first created his angsty gay son persona. <laughs> Rich angsty gay son. That's an important aspect of it. <laughs> he always plays yeah. a little rich. Uh. Yes. Um, next one is a true classic, The Covenant. Um, I, when I was like 19 or 20, was like, 
this will be the greatest movie ever. I'm going to horny watch it and bought it <laughs> on iTunes uh, and was not into it at all. Um, and then I don't know what happened to my standards, but we, we watched it for this and I was like, okay, this is good enough to horny watch. It's uh, Sebastian Stan, Chase Crawford, and Taylor Kitsch uh, all just being um, teen witches who shower a lot. Yeah, it's... I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie three times and I've never enjoyed it. I don't know how that I keep, like, getting tricked into watching it. <laughs> it just feels like it would be enjoyable. Yeah, it, you're always sure that this time it'll actually be, like, fun. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, yeah, because, like, all you remember is, like, oh, they're all gonna just, like, shove each other against the, a locker over and over and over, but then somehow there's a bunch of boring it's stuff in between. so boring. <laughs> Yeah, but I did enjoy watching it with you, and I feel like it's a very good movie for when you're, like, hanging out with friends, and you're like, well, I want to be able to talk. I don't want my my friend to be like, shh, the movie's yeah. playing, so you can just, like, put on yeah. the covenant. Honestly, I think I would recommend the covenant um, not to any teens, but if you're, like, 30 and you're going to have some drinks with some friends, that is the, the target audience for the covenant. It was made... For us, but too early. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Yeah, it had to come out like over 10 years ago so that we can appreciate it now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have uh, plot issues with that movie that I could get easily get into, but I'm not going. It was, it's, I don't know necessarily who it's for because it also like sometimes will be like, suck it, women. And it's like, why? <laughs> Straight boys aren't renting this film. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I Sebastian Stan plays another another one of his niches that he's finding here is um, he's playing a bad guy. He's very over the top. He's having fun with it. Yes, he's very yeah, good you, in this. I think I think like half the cast is in on this joke. It's hard to tell how much of yeah. the cast is in on it, but he definitely is. Yeah. He's having a good time. He's doing too much. And he's definitely, like, going out of his way to make things homoerotic, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, Sebastian Stan is really fully aware of what this movie, like, should be. Chase Crawford is phoning it in and also has terrible hair, so that's just a waste. Yeah, every actress in this movie um, just is glad that they have a role, but they know that this isn't really anything. <laughs> They're just like, this is... Only for 30-year-old gay men. I'm going to get blurred out. <laughs> he is legitimately great in The Covenant in that it's like he knows exactly how bad he needs to be for this to be a good time. <laughs> yeah. Sebastian Stan is really good at, like, always understanding exactly what the thing he's in is. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's what it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like. Having watched a bunch of these, I'm like, I went into this ready to be like, maybe he's one of the greatest actors of our time because I've only seen things I like. <laughs> and he's in, some, he's, really he's in some duds, but he always kind of knows. <laughs> yeah, he always gets the Tumblr gifts in. That's what's amazing about him. <laughs> when if he like coordinates that with the camera guy, he's like, There's just, we could get a shot of me to a guy. Just <laughs> don't even tell the director. <laughs> Next up is The Education of Charlie Banks, which is n most notable for being a fucking Fred Durst film. Hell yes. Uh, I have to plug that I'm in an episode of my 
friend Steve's podcast where we go in depth on uh, Limp Biscuit and also Fred Durst's film, The Fanatic. Um, and The Fanatic is really uh, uh, like what you want from a Fred Durst movie in a way that The Education of Charlie Banks really isn't. It's like going out of its way to be uh, really like restrained and respectable and I uh, I admire that about it, even though it was less uh, fun than I was expecting. I missed the window on seeing this because it got taken down from the free site it was on. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's just like a respectable Jesse Eisenberg movie that's just like uh, nicely in that late, OO's Jesse Eisenberg niche and is uh, just completely, completely fine. It's like if you've, if you're a big Sebastian Stan head and have just run out of things to look at him in, it's pretty good. He's in it a moderate amount and he looks good. So there you go. I'm sold. Uh (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like. I'm glad you chose Sebastian Stan because I feel like this is one of the only actors we've done where people might actually be looking for a podcast that like just tells you how much the person is in and if they looked. Good yeah, I. That's all I want to provide I'm people. Hoping with. I'm it's like you've those. watched Winter Soldier too many times. So oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to just get out of the way. It's like, is he good in it? Is he in it? Um, what's he bringing to the table here, gift wise? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, did you watch um, Red Doors? So I did not see Red Doors, but Sarah is going to talk about it. Uh, Red Doors is, uh, it's weird because it feels like it was made, like, it feels like it would have been a really great 90s movie, and it came out in 2005, <laughs> so it's only like, okay. <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> if you told someone that it came out in the 90s, they might be really impressed. Uh, it's like an independent comedy Uh, about an Asian-American family and like the dad's got his own thing and all the daughters have their own thing and Sebastian Stan's role in it is mostly that um, the teenage daughter has like a school nemesis or bully or whatever who's Sebastian Stan and they keep like doing elaborate pranks on each other (laughs) (laughs) until at the end they like realize that they're in love and I don't even think they kiss or anything. They just like set off like a smoke bomb. It's, it's weird (laughs) and cute. And he's, it plays into that niche of like bad boy in like a, both a CW way and also an indie film way. (laughs) Um, And I think I liked about that movie. It has a pretty cute lesbian plot line, which is nice. Uh, Like the average, a, a normal woman, uh, like she's a doctor and she meets this famous actress who's like a big A-list or whatever, who's like shadowing her for a role and they fall in love. And it's very, I imagine, incredibly self-indulgent, but it's pretty cute. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Red Rose, uh, with it if you can find it, I guess it's a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Check your library. Um, so next is Rachel getting married, uh, which is probably the movie I went back and forth on most while watching it. I would get like really into it and then get like really mad. Um, 
but overall it like actually left an impression on me uh which is nice um so i i came away uh feeling good about rachel getting married as a very uh uh, interesting drama that is is different from other dramas yeah i overall i liked it it's definitely like a lot (laughs) yeah um but i thought the the topic was interesting because it's about like when you're in recovery for addiction sort of that this idea of like at what point are you like recovered and is it like okay for you to be Mm -hmm to let go of the shit you did, uh, which is, I think, a thing that just doesn't get talked about a bunch. And also, it, like, made me understand weddings a bit more because, like, everything gets so awful and chaotic, and then they, like, we spend a long time in a scene of the ceremony, and you're kind of like, oh, this is nice. (laughs) (laughs) This captures the feeling of, like, oh, yeah, these two people love each other and it'll be fine and this is why we do all these dumb ceremonies, whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It is funny, though, because it's definitely one of those movies where, like, they try to make everyone look like normal people and then, like, Anne Hathaway is just out there looking like Anne Hathaway and it's like, you can't, this isn't, (laughs) no one's buying this. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sebastian Stan is in very little of this film. He's in the first scene yes, and he's... then you don't see him again i think he maybe like plays an extra i don't know <laughs> yeah he's in the first scene and then it's just a crushingly intense drama after that so don't at your horny sebastian stan sleepovers uh don't throw on rachel yeah, getting married. it's not really worth it as a sebastian stan movie um he does <laughs> he looks even more ridiculously good than she does like they don't average him up at all he's just in the first scene yeah being like a patient at an addiction center but also like clearly just came back from a hair salon ingest. <laughs> all right next up is the most important thing in his filmography the hayden panettiere music video wake up call i've uh i've watched this a lot because i watched it for this and then after that youtube just kept throwing it out there for me and i kept being like hell yeah i'll watch it again and every time I watch it, I'm kind of like, is this my gold star for Sebastian Stan? <laughs> minute per minute, nothing delivers like the wake up call music video. I'll, I'll give you a minute per minute. I'll give you a minute per minute. <laughs> yeah. It's this song where Hayden Panettiere is singing about how her boyfriend's not giving her enough attention, so she's going to cheat on him. Amazing. And then in the music video... Sebastian Stan isn't giving her enough attention, so she like puts on a brunette wig and pretends to be someone else who he's then into before she's like, oh, hey, it's actually me, which I'm like, that is a very different but equally insane impulse that I also (laughs) love. I love that they play siblings in The Architect, and you have to wonder, like, did they become friends on that? Did she like just after working together on the architect, she's like, you know, it'd be perfect for playing my boyfriend in this music video. Uh, the guy who played my horrible gay brother in that horrible movie. <laughs> yes. She was on Heroes, so she just thinks that uh, brothers all have crazy sexual yeah, chemistry. That scene, the architect did also have a scene where for some reason it seems like they're flirting with each other. <laughs> and he also like accuses her of flitting with her dad it's a bad movie i cannot stress this enough <laughs> i hope that what came out of the architect is that he was like i have sebastian stan's number like get him in get him in here 
I, I do strongly get the feeling that they dated, but just somehow no like lasting cultural products came out <laughs> of it. Just this music video and the architect. Uh, I hope they didn't date because I think this is still a new ranger. She's like just 18. Oh, right. I forgot that he was only like a fake teenager at this point. He's he like was, 23. He was okay, younger than um, uh, Peter from Heroes who she was dating and is the second she turned 18. It was like they were friends and then she was 18 and then they were dating. Uh <laughs> So, uh, I think he was younger than that guy. <laughs> you know, I just want to believe that Sebastian Stan is better than Milo Ventimiglia <laughs> in every way. What hope so? My God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not a creep. That's why right. I know when Hayden Panettiere turned 18. It's not because I'm a creep. It's because <laughs> an adult man was a creep and I, I was keeping my eyes on him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, next up is a movie called Spread, which is another movie that I tried to horny watch when I was like 19 and was like, I cannot do this even for looking at Ashton Kutcher. And then I watched it again at 30 for this podcast and was like, this movie bangs. (laughs) I was really into it. I think it's hot. It's funny. I felt like the, the actual like romantic plot line, once they try to like, start once they start to like seriously be like you're invested in this right right like that yeah. last movie <laughs> but i thought it was an extremely fun movie like ashton kutcher uh going down on old ladies for sandwiches is just great art yeah i wasn't like entirely sure who this movie was for or like how it got made because it's like so much just sex scenes with like almost no plot stringing it together <laughs> Yeah, it definitely seems like someone's vanity project because it was so clearly shot in like two days when they just like had access yeah. to a house. <laughs> I hope it was just Anne Heche was like, I want to make a movie where I fuck the shit up at Ashton yeah. Kutcher. And then it's very in. much a movie about how hot Anne Heche is. Um, yeah. And then Ashton Kutcher being like, maybe I can do better. And then being like, oh, no, I couldn't. Oh, no. <laughs> By the time this movie decides it has a plot, it feels way too late in the game. It feels like it's like, no, actually, you should have just committed to doing only like 80 minutes of just random sex scenes at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so much better at the parts that are just like sex scenes and then Ashton Kutcher doing like a snappy quip. I was so into that. I just want it to be, yeah, the like the actual romance with the girl who's age appropriate is terrible. It should just be a movie about the hubris of thinking uh, you can do better than Anne Heche and just becoming impoverished and homeless because of that hubris. Yeah, the actual romantic relationship is like Ashton Kutcher plays a guy who goes around uh, sleeping with rich women so that he can sort of more or less emotionally scam his way into being like a kept boy (laughs) and then live in the life. which is a pretty, you know, good work if you can get it. Um, and then he meets and and then he falls for a girl that like isn't interested in him, and it turns out it's because she's also a scammer and she's running this the same thing on rich guys. And it's supposed to be like a thing that's like 
she sees through his bullshit, but it's like, his bullshit's very obvious. He goes around being like, I sleep with rich women for money. (laughs) I'm not even a prostitute. I I need them desperately for them to like me. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a bad couple because I feel like their train of thought is they're like, oh, we're perfect for each other. And it's, we're like the same person. And it's like, yeah, you're, you both want to fuck old rich people. That doesn't make you a good yeah, couple. If they get together, like, then they would end up losing the only thing they have in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Sebastian Stan part is really tacked on. He's just like Ashton Kutcher's friend. Um, but there was a part where Ashton Kutcher shows up on his door. And for some reason, I was like... Is he going to declare his Yeah, that's, the weird thing is there's, like, at least two scenes where I'm like, were these guys dating as part of this movie? And I, like, missed that they said that? Because, uh, Sebastian, yeah, there's a scene where Sebastian Stan, um, throws all of Ashton Kutcher's stuff out at him over, off of a balcony, but, like, nothing sets that up. <laughs> And then there's a later scene where Ashton Kutcher goes and apologizes, and it it's, like, a real tender moment. And both times I'm like, these could easily just be in a different movie. And I'd be like, they broke up and they got back together. Yeah. That's, <laughs> if there wasn't the rest of this movie in the way, I'd assume that happened. Um, he's, yeah, it's a phoned-in Sebastian Stan. Or, like, not phoned-in, but uh, it's it's a bit of a waste of Sebastian Stan. It's very you know, Gossip Girl era, like, we need we need a pretty boy f- to be his friend who's less famous than Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> Next is the NBC TV show Kings. Sarah, do you want to describe Kings for everybody? Uh, Kings is one of my favorite shows, and I watch it literally every year, <laughs> which has been 10 years now. Uh, <laughs> um, Kings is... A retelling of the biblical story of David um, in like a modern esque setting. So it's like in a fake country that has kings, obviously, um, but it looks like modern New York and it's kind of got a. It's a show that would be a prestige, like AMC show, if it had come out like five or 10 years later, but it came out um, <laughs> yeah. in 2009 on NBC and no one really knew what to do with it. Because they, no one wanted to, yeah, no one really knew what this prestige drama was doing. (laughs) And it, yeah, I have so much affection for this. (laughs) Yeah, I have so much affection for this era of NBC because they were taking such huge swings. And it's just like, the big shows are like CSI and Two and a Half Men. Like, try less. (laughs) Yeah. But it's. Very adorable. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> invested in how the marketing for this went wrong because, like, all the entire marketing campaign was like butterflies because they were terrified that if they mentioned <laughs> um, the Bible or God or like what the show was about, that it would like people would get mad or people would like not watch it. And so they just were like, we just won't say what it's about at all. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> and they ended up having to burn off most of these episodes. Uh, during like half the episodes during the summer after a Law and Order rerun, and like the Law and Order rerun would get higher ratings. It was a very stressful time in my life. Um, it's a very good show. 
Ian McShane is in it, and he's incredible. Susanna Thompson's in it. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. Uh, Sebastian Stan, obviously, is one of the leads, and he plays... Uh, He's he's got a really good part. He does a really good job with it, uh, and it's just really fucking good, man. I don't decide. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed the show. Uh, I love how just ambitious and strange it is. Um, I will say uh, the one thing that was sort of disappointing was that uh, Sebastian Stan he's gay. And it's very much like the one cliche storyline that every gay character in a drama has, which was kind of just a bummer because this show is so just weird and different. But then it's still like, oh, yeah, they just have the one story for gay characters. I I do know what you're talking about, but it is also like, well, you'd also like he's personally mad at God. <laughs> <laughs> Like, God is a real character, and uh, they're in a fight. <laughs> uh, but you're correct. Yeah, I think it is it is frustrating, like, every year that passes. to Because, like, I want people to watch this show, but it's definitely something that, like, if it had come out five years later, they would have been able to do so much more. Or if they had been on, like, HBO or something. Because it's, like, definitely, like, the gay storyline is very restrained. Because they just like can't and they can't show that much on NBC. Uh, <laughs> he like gets to kiss his boyfriend once, and it's in the dark. <laughs> uh, it's a shame in that respect. Um, Sebastian Stan, acting wise, he does just some incredible work, and I say that as someone who's watched the show again like ten times through. <laughs> <laughs> um, the pilot has an incredible scene where Ian McShane has like a whole very mean homophobic dad speech just like right in his fucking face and it's like Ian McShane's doing the speech and Sebastian Sam just standing there and you like watch him die inside (laughs) and it's just it's incredibly acted um, from both parties and I think I think a thing that Sebastian Sam does really well is he's really good at acting without like saying anything (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say he has such a career of, like, powerhouse actors doing, like, really big, great dramatic acting and him, like, looking sad in response. <laughs> like, but, like, not in a bad way. It's like, yeah, you you need someone to look sad in response to the person. Otherwise, they're acting Yeah, exactly. Work. Like, he's, he's really good at actually making you, like, feel like the stuff the other person is saying is doing something. <laughs> Um, Yeah, Kings is great. It's uh, definitely one of the most uh, interesting things in this filmography and also one of the most Sebastian Stan heavy. So definitely uh, check it out. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, Like I said, just an amazing cast. It's really fun. It's like Gals of Gold meets Battlestar. A lot of good outfits. A lot of good speeches. A lot of... If you want to see a gay guy uh, do a whole like royal uh, royal coup because he's, he's mad at his dad and God, <laughs> it's got you there. And that's all I want to see, honestly. If I, if every piece of media was just someone doing a coup because they're like, second dad, I'm gay, that would be the only stuff I would watch. <laughs> yeah. He does proportionately and maybe even just 
quantitatively uh, get more screen time than Renly Baratheon. So it's like, if you liked that, this is like that being an actual yes, character. Exactly. <laughs> he has like reasons for why he does stuff. He's, he also, he has a, amazing scenes with Leslie Bibb and it's only like two episodes, but I, I love that moment where just it's like him and Leslie Bibb are like, what if we got married just to make my mom mad? And it's a very good storyline <laughs> for how little screen time it gets. Next up is Hot Tub Fuck Time yeah. Machine. <laughs> I, I have a very intense relationship with this movie. Uh, I saw it when I first came out, fucking loved it, watched it so much. And then it started to weigh on me just how, like, insanely misogynist it is. Because uh, if you haven't seen Hot Tub Time Machine, it's about a group of friends who go back in time. And one of the plots is that uh, Craig Robinson's wife cheated on him and also won't take his last name, which is a huge problem. Um and when he's back in time, he's older than her, so she's only, like, uh, eight. And he calls her up and, like, yells at her not to cheat on her, and not to cheat on him. And then the happy ending is when they go back to the present. Uh, his wife has taken his last name and is, like, a good submissive wife who's like, you know I could never cheat on you after that traumatic experience where that old man called me as a child. And it's so fucking weird. And I feel like it kind of knows how weird it is. Like, this is a movie that is like, yeah, I hate women. Like, it's very, like, comfortable with it. Um, So there was a while when I, like, wrote off Hot Tub Time Machine, especially because I, uh, what finally did it was I worked at Comedy Central and I had an assignment where I had to, like, write down timestamps. So I had to watch Hot Tub Time Machine over and over and over. Um. So I had completely written off Hot Tub Time Machine. Um, and then I watched it for this. And I was like, this is such a fucking funny it's really movie. It's funny. Like, yeah, if I would say a huge problem I have with that movie, it would be that fucking phone call thing. But, like, I... Yeah. As a writer, I understand that, like, that's a funny joke pitch. Because it's when he... It's, it's a funny yeah. scene no. when he's in the past and he gets drunk and he calls his wife to be, like to unload on her and all the stuff he's figured out about himself. Cause it's like, she's nine and it's very funny. Yeah, that part is And amazing. then I understand like why the joke got added in at the uh, later being like, Oh no, that, that ruined me forever. But like, then cut that joke later. Like then just, just cut it later and just don't keep it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think the thing is it's such a big, part of the story like it's baked in that it like his big problem is that his wife won't take his last name which is like such peak like we now talk about like the bro comedy of this era and but just like remembering being like oh yeah an actual character's storyline was that his wife won't take his last name that's what the bro comedy era was like um and that over-the-top ending like i think it's very purposeful like i kind of respect it um i think it was roger ebert was uh someone i read was talking about how the happy ending is like so over the top with how happy it is that it's actually like really depressing and i think that works and i think that in a way the sexism kind of works in that way like it's so over the top that you're um your discomfort feels like it's like on purpose and in interesting um, but that is still like a thing 
I have to contend with about the movie and like the other storyline being um there's a scene where like Rob Corddry has to fuck this woman and we just like don't get her input about it at all. Like her face is literally like covered with a pillow and we just like don't know how she feels about getting fucked in that moment. It's a lot. The this movie's deal with women is a lot, but it is extremely funny and watching it I was like all the issues I had are still there, but it just is really a fucking funny movie. Yeah, I definitely it hates women, and that's just the thing you got to deal with in a lot of movies. I mean, look, if uh, <laughs> if you yeah. not, but, is it, but this yeah. is so much worse. Is the thing <laughs> that I was like so so into so many comedies of this era, and can like usually let it slide because it's like a moment. But this is like no, the plots are about how women are fucking bad. Yes. Uh, no, I'll, I'll say this, uh, all of the men are also horrible. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, but don't like, get the perspective of any of the horrible women, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's... The, I mean, the, the men are, like, bad people, but they're, like, actual yeah. characters. They're not a thesis about how women are bad. Correct. <laughs> It's definitely um, yeah, uh, but, uh, real sexist. But again, uh, besides that, I do think it's a, a pretty funny movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, at, at the time, back when I watched this so many times, I was at my peak of having a crush on Rob Corddry. I only had eyes <laughs> for him. Um, so I didn't really appreciate Sebastian Stan until I watched it for this. But he's he's very fun in it. Um, He's uh, like a macho 80s teen uh, modeled after like Red Dawn. And his scene partner is uh, the kid who played Axel on the middle, who I think is very good playing off him. Um, It's kind of uh, the reverse of what usually happens because Sebastian Stan is like uh, overacting and then kid from the middle. Sorry, I don't know his name uh, is like underacting in response. And I think like they're very good together. Yeah, I think. I don't necessarily think that I would, like, ever, like, put Sebastian Stan as, like, a lead in a comedy movie, but I think he's he does a really good job here of understanding, like, what is ridiculous about this character and then just going for it. Like, he's all in on what a ridiculous character caricature this character is. And it's also yeah. very funny because was- he's very, like, yeah, we're fucking Americans. Fuck Russia. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. great in context of the Winter Soldier stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for a second, I was going to be like, yeah, he's like Rob Lowe. Because I forgot that for some reason, Rob Lowe is just like legit a sitcom actor now, which yeah. is weird. Uh, but back in the day, he was uh, like the handsome guy who would be in comedy movies and be like a handsome guy who's like, not bringing the comedy down, even though he's not one of the comedy guys. And um, yeah, I think uh, Sebastian Stan is very fun in this. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Sebastian Stan's 11 <laughs> Gossip Girl episodes. Over three um, seasons. So, he- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's what I would say in terms of watching Gossip Girl for him is don't watch just all of his episodes in a row because then it'll seem like Gossip Girl just like rapidly deteriorated in quality, (laughs) which is not fair. I think uh, watch 
the first two episodes he's in, Bad News Blair and um, High Society, because those are pretty good. They have a fair amount of Sebastian Stan and are a good summary of like what Gossip Girl is. And then if you like those, go back and watch from the beginning. Yes, I think that's that's very wise, uh, <laughs> especially because uh, those have like dirtbag Sebastian Stan and then like fancy Sebastian Stan, so you get the full package of what <laughs> he's doing on Gossip Girl. <laughs> yes. Also, it feels like um, it feels like a redemption for uh, the Covenant not being as uh, erotic as it should be because in these episodes. Chase Crawford is just so in love with Sebastian Stan. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they definitely play obsessed with each other. <laughs> there's like, there's literally a scene where Chuck Bass is like, hey, come have sex with these two hot women with me. And Chase Crawford's just like, no, I'm going to stay here and keeps talking to Sebastian Yeah, I think Sebastian Stan like, is about to win him in like a card game. It's, I'm not entirely sure what's going on there, but that's how, that's what Chuck <laughs> thinks is going to happen, if nothing else. <laughs> um also fun fact uh i'm pretty sure the reason why he keeps coming back for later episodes is that he uh somewhere in this time frame he is dating leighton meester who plays blair on gossip girl um not like relevant i just think uh it's a pretty good looking couple <laughs> good for them yeah it's it's always good to know which uh which good looking people have dated yeah i also it's mostly um, like in season three um, he has like kind of a plot line with with Serena, but there's also a few episodes where he's like there for one scene, and you're like, "Why did they bother getting Sebastian Stan for this?" And it's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, we probably maybe was just around. <laughs> maybe he was already on set. I don't know." <laughs> um, yeah, Gossip Girl is a show I love with all my heart, and uh, Sebastian Stan doesn't have like enough of an arc for um watching it for him to really like pay off but his his first episode bad news blair is my my favorite episode of the show so for sure yeah um that's the episode with the if you haven't watched gossip girl but you've like heard of it it's got the uh checks infamous base uh checks infamous basketball outfit which is like i don't like a gucci basketball it's got a bunch of crowns on it it's like made of silk it's ridiculous ridiculous and once you see that you're like oh i understand this show they they know exactly (laughs) what they're doing um all right next is black swan i feel like everyone probably knows how they feel about black swan in 2020 (laughs) and i don't have to get into it too much uh i did not enjoy this movie i like it a lot yeah (laughs) all right i watched it um in theaters in 2010 and i remember feeling like i like couldn't like unclench my whole body for like a week afterwards because it's just like a very intense uncomfortable film uh Mm -hmm. and that's why i bought it on dvd because sometimes you want to just lean into the skid Uh (laughs) (laughs) i i respect that i watched it again i liked it again sebastian stan is in one scene and uh (laughs) He's like flitting with Natalie Portman and instead she goes home with Mila Kunis. And you know what? Um, That's fair. Those are both good options and uh, you can't go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Next is Captain America, the first Avenger. When it, when everything turns around for Sebastian Stan. Uh, Yeah. I was pretty hyped that uh, 
the TV actor I was obsessed with uh, was going to get to be in a superhero movie, but I didn't know anything about the comic books uh, back in 2011. So uh, imagine how thrilled I was years later when he came back. Uh, <laughs> he like died in this movie and I was like, well, he had a good run. <laughs> um, he is very good at this. It's, it's a pretty big jump because like, yeah, he was in Hot Tub Time Machine and is seen in Black Swan, but this is like a major role in a blockbuster and he handles it very well. Mm. He seems like a pro. <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah i really like uh captain america the first avenger it's very good at being a superhero movie it's just uh a fun movie about a nice guy uh which i feel like later these movies get too complicated they're doing too much i don't know why they're doing anything Uh, they're doing in the later films (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I love revisiting this one and being like, that's that's a fun movie about a good guy. And uh, yeah, Bucky is just his hot friend, uh, which is a great role for Sebastian Stan. He's, he's great at being someone's hot friend. Yeah, it's I think they did a really good job casting him for this movie because. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh- <laughs> Sebastian Stan and Bucky return in later films as a, in a much darker role. And I think um, Sebastian Stan was like really perfectly cast to be the like charismatic, fun, carefree, like friend, but then also to play like a mindless, heartless assassin later. <laughs> yeah, he's such a good, uh, like he seems like such a clean cut, all-American jock in this one much more than pretty much any of his other roles and then yeah later when he has more mascara and black leather clothing you're like oh okay that's why they cast Sebastian (laughs) but yeah I think he does a really good job in this movie sort of bridging those characters because uh something that happens in Captain America first Avengers that Bucky gets captured and he gets experimented on and that's why he uh is a good fit for being a mindless assassin, whatever, uh, not to get into lore, but like a bad thing happens to this, it happens to him in this movie, and you can actually he acts out, sort of just having that trauma and just sticking to it. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's he does a really good performance in what could easily be a phoned in like I'm the best friend, and that uh, oh no, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh... He he and Chris Evans are just very good at smiling at each at each other in a way that does a lot of work. Yeah, um, it's this is definitely like a team effort on their part. Um, yes, Sebastian Stan is used to being like, you know what? Not much is happening with this role. Maybe I just start making eyes at whoever's around, man or woman. Who cares? I'm just going to start uh, putting out a sexual energy to the world. And uh, Chris Evans is uh, picking up the baton and uh, just going for it. <laughs> very, very, they're doing it on purpose. It's got to be. That scene in the bar where it's like, hey, you're keeping that costume. And then uh, Chris Evans eyes him up. Uh, seems like they know what they're doing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just very much ends up being a thing where it's like, oh, this story we've all had thrust upon us for 10 years as the only story in cinema 
only makes sense because of how Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan smile at each other. So good for them for doing that work. All right, next up is the movie Gone, which is like a thriller uh, with Amanda Seyfried. Um, I don't remember too much about it other than that I was like, mm, two stars. <laughs> yeah, I um, I love Amanda Seyfried. I think this is like... So yeah, it's about this uh, woman who had been captured by some psychopath and escaped and she went to the cops and then because she didn't have any evidence, eventually the cops uh, just didn't believe her. And um, then that same psychopath comes and takes her sister and she's the only one who knows he's out there and she's the only one who can stop him. And it's one of those things where it's like, I think if it was like a long pilot to a show or just a single episode of like Law and Order or CSI or something like it would be good but it's just like not enough to really get me on board for a full movie um yeah it just like felt like this should be 45 minutes <laughs> um yeah, yeah. That, but uh Amanda Seyfried is very good in it I'm a big fan of hers um Sebastian Stan is in barely any of it not really worth it for him <laughs> um I will say it's free on YouTube and I really liked um looking at the YouTube comments which are usually very negative being like yeah Jill you she went for it she did every yeah she, like, just everyone is very proud of her for like just sticking <laughs> to her guns <laughs> it, was, it was nice to see <laughs> that's nice all right next up is political animals uh which is one of the first uh, Greg Berlanti shows to ever exist. Kind of before he, well, I was going to say before he worked out exactly what his thing is, but I guess since he has like 30 (laughs) shows, he never really settled on a thing. Um, But yeah, it's one of the first Greg Berlanti shows and it is about a character who is clearly, clearly Hillary Clinton. Uh, There was such a surge of Hillary shows in this time. And this was the most blatant. And, um, you know, it's just real hard. It's real, real hard to watch a Hillary show now <laughs> and just be like, they're so sure she's going to win. It's, they're so <laughs> sure about it. Um, rough to watch. Rough to watch. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, here's how mediocre this show is. Sebastian Stan plays a coked up gay guy, and I've still never finished the <laughs> series. He's playing um his usual role. He's playing an entitled uh entitled trust fund kid who's a bit of a bad boy, and also he's playing uh the sad gay son of a politician. So really checking all the boxes there. <laughs> um but it kind of feels like uh you know the copy of a copy it feels like a ripoff uh we've seen this before yeah um he gets more love scenes with men here than i think in anything else so he's got that going for yeah like he (laughs) there's definitely a scene where he and a man are like doing coke off each other uh (laughs) But again, that just like shows how mediocre it is that I still am not that into it. Yeah, definitely. Like as a show about politics, you'd be much better off watching uh, Kings because Kings is sort of about like the exchanges of power in general and political animals is 
exists in this very specific universe of like, if American democracy was like this, then maybe it would be like this. And it's like, but it's not, and we can't really do anything with that. <laughs> There's just, yeah, nothing really to, um, things didn't work out that way. That's not how being secretary of state works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, despite having an incredibly beautiful cast and like being pretty blatant about showing stuff on screen, it's really not that sexy. And I realized a lot of the time the issue is because what they'll do is they'll like come in on sex and then they have to like stop to like have a conversation that moves the story forward. And it's like, no, you have to end on sex so that we like imagine what happens after you're just like constantly giving blue balls if it's just like oh I have to stop now and give an expository sentence <laughs> right yeah it's like so that's that's my pro tip to any tv writers out there <laughs> yeah it'll be like wait before you finish going down on me let's talk about your mom for a while and it's like let's never do this in a scene <laughs> yes what do you think is going to happen with that bill? And it's like, oh, you're inside of that person. We don't need to be doing <laughs> Um, It is. Yeah. I think it's a, it might be a fun watch considering how beautiful the cast is. Um, Sebastian Stan, James Walk, uh, Sigourney Weaver. It's just uh, Adrian Fazder with uh, Carla Gennaro. I think I'm. Oh boy, I goofed that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Right, yeah. She has sex with James Walker to play, and that's fun. Uh, It's just uh, not as politically prescient as it wanted to be. (laughs) Yeah, I would say not. It's very weird thinking about watching it now and being like, all these characters would be on Epstein's flight log. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there was a time to watch the show, and that time was the summer of 2012 when it came out, and that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> missed the boat. Uh, just look at. Uh, I guess you could YouTube for just 20 bits or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, next is the apparition. This is the horror movie yes. we watched together, right? <laughs> okay. This is fun because uh. Sebastian Stan is dressed up like a like sensitive emo musician and the a good like first like half hour of it is just like him being a nice boyfriend who like goes to Costco with his girlfriend and then like plays video games with her and I think like just that half hour is nice to just watch as you're like drifting off to sleep um <laughs> And then when it starts trying to be a horror movie, that's when things yeah, go Yeah, the plot awry. of this movie is bad. The horror movie is bad. I don't know. Is, yeah. But um, I think you described it as like an ASMR, like, if Sebastian Stan was your boyfriend, it's like, yeah, when they're just like fixing up the, a couple gets a house um, and uh, then it turns out that it's haunted, but it's actually not the house that haunt- that's haunted. It's Sebastian Stan. Um so when they're just fixing up the house, uh, that's nice. Uh, and then yeah, I, yeah, I definitely want to just watch videos of Sebastian Stan going to Costco <laughs> and just like having a nice conversation about yeah, how my setting day up the TV, checking out on the neighbor's dog. <laughs> yeah. That's all working. Um, yeah. Tom Felton and some ghosts show up. The- that's not working anymore. No. <laughs> 
So yeah, overall, the apparition, uh, not worth it. It has, uh, it's bad hair by Sebastian Stan character standards and uh, not a good horror movie. Yeah, it was not particularly scary, but also like the stuff happening as like, this is just unpleasant to think about (laughs) as a concept. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Next up, Once Upon a Time, the six episode arc uh, Sebastian Stan did. what a time it was when there were two competing fairy tale shows on network television and they were both huge hits that lasted forever. Yeah, I did a cancellation pool that year and I I went for Grimm because I was like, one of these is getting canceled three weeks in. Um, I've just placed a bet and then they both lasted like seven years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anyone who I was in that pool with anymore. I'll never get that money. <laughs> just uh incredible um so uh i feel like at the time when i was invested in like which network shows would last and which would fail i was like so pissed off at once upon a time um and now that it's just a thing that like is on netflix but no one is actually discovering it it's like fine that it exists yeah i remember being quite worked up about like this isn't the best storytelling we could be doing right now. And now I'm like, who cares? People liked it. I don't <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we got um, options now. <laughs> uh, Sebastian Stan plays a sexy, evil version of the Mad Hatter. A, uh, a choice, yes. <laughs> the show gave up on just being a fairy tale show so early. They just started being like, if it's a book that people have heard of, that's a fairy tale. Yeah, it's like public domain, the TV series, which, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know why uh, that kid's magic fairy tale book um, also includes a bunch of recent novels, but uh, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> if Disney made it now, it would definitely have like Iron Man and Han Solo. Yeah, uh, the Frozen character showed up, so... Oh, that was so bad. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, the thing about the show is that the production design is so much worse than if you just look up, like, girls who really like Frozen and are cosplaying a photo shoot for fun. I think that was what bugged me about it the most. Yeah, what bugged me about it the most was just definitely that I um, I care a lot about fairy tales, and it was very obvious that they were just doing Disney movies because it was owned by Disney, and I was like, I know you got to get into the real shit. You got to get <laughs> into the dark stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about the choice to be like, okay, so it's the Mad Hatter, mm-hmm. but he's... Uh, but he's like a sadistic villain, but also a good dad. And it's for some reason a pretty boy from CW shows. <laughs> yeah, like the Mad Hatter's thing is just being like super chaotic. And this guy is just like, I'm gonna torture and murder Cameron from House. Um, but also cry about my daughter, which I guess like those two things together are chaotic, but it just seems like a stone cold superhero or supervillain with a lot of feelings. Yeah, exactly. It seems, um, I don't know what they were going for. And I'll say that given how confusing the concept is, uh, Sebastian Stan really did his best to turn it into something. Yeah. (laughs) It's, 
a slightly different type of sadistic than usual. Um, I have, I think it's the first time he plays a dad. <laughs> um, he's having fun with it. He knows, I think he knows better than a lot of people involved in the show what this show is. Mm-hmm. And he's going for it. He's like, Okay, um, this is going to be cheesy. It's going to be over the top. Uh, for some reason, it's going to be a little bit sexual in a way that makes you <laughs> uncomfortable, but not enough that you aren't still watching with your kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty watchable because Sebastian Stan is fun to watch and it's just so strange. I probably would never watch all six episodes, but. I think if you just watch the first one he's in, you get a lot of Mad Hatter. Yes, he's in a lot of the first one, uh, which is the only one we watched. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think if we're we're not counting the mini-series Labyrinth, which we're about to talk about, um, I think this is his last proper TV role. Uh, Be... And the Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be in uh, production forever because uh, <laughs> society has fallen. Right. Uh, pretty pretty bold last significant role <laughs> in a TV series. I understand that this would be the one where he's like, you know what? I don't have to do this anymore. I can just do movies now. <laughs> well, I think I feel like what's so weird is that. Um, like talking about Once Upon a Time and like what it is and the fact that he was a sexy Mad Hatter, it feels like this thing of like, in the course of watching every Sebastian Stan role, we watched this crazy uh, thing uh, that we dug up, but it's, this is like a show people watch. Yeah, this was a very normal career choice in 2012. I want to be clear about that. Um, It was a very mainstream, safe, good for his career move. To be on that um, hugely successful ABC show at the time. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, Labyrinth, the miniseries uh, that allegedly aired on the CW that I had never heard of before this. Absolutely did. I. When was this on the CW? <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, this just is this super ambitious show that just wants to be in the vein of like Xena or something. And it just doesn't, doesn't have it together. It looks so much like a student film and has like the dialogue of a student film. Yeah. I think the problem is like watching it, you're like, Oh, this will be something like Xena. And, but you get the sense that the people making it thought that they were making like early Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they really wanted it to be like a drama, but with like only cliche dialogue. Yeah, because um, it's like they get some really nice locations. They get a really good cast: um, John Hurt, uh, Jessica Brown, uh, Finley from uh, Downton Abbey. Tom Felton's there. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, like they. They're going for it. They put the work in and then, like, the script and then the actual, like, production are just not there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it, 
we watched the first half of this and it was all set up and they were like people will stick around and we didn't um no so that's what i'll say about that is they neglected to tell me what i was watching or why i should keep watching it they were like we'll just these scenes might or might not pay off if you watch another few hours of this and uh maybe they do uh i have no interest in finding out <laughs> yeah this was like a proto netflix show because it's just uh the first part is all bland setup and there's no production value and for some reason a-list movie stars are here oh uh sebastian Stan uh does look great in it if you want to like just watch his scenes he's <laughs> i think uh he like seduces an older woman and then he's hanging out in a very aesthetically pleasing house <laughs> um if like you're just die hard about watching Sebastian Stan stuff, uh, it's perfectly pleasant to watch only his scenes. It's just obviously not like worth sitting down and watching Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, next up, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. His turn into no longer doing six episode guest darks on TV. <laughs> yeah, this is like. This is such a star turn, and it's very impressive because, uh, much like uh, Anthony Hopkins winning that Oscar for like sixteen minutes in Signs of the Lambs, it's like he has he's in so little of this movie, and he's so memorable in it. Like I remember at the time having been a diehard Sebastian Stan fan since uh, two thousand nine. This was the moment where, like, other people knew who he was. You, <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, being like, it's weird that despite being the Winter Soldier, there's, like, so little Sebastian Stan in it. And then uh, when I rewatched it for this, I was like, oh, but the parts he's in, it goes off. Like, he's he's getting tortured by Robert Redford. He's doing cool action scenes. Yeah, he's... Um... Forget if I talked about this, uh, the first Avenger, but like, he does such a good job of being like Bucky, Steve's pal, mm -hmm. where you're like, what a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Him and Steve get along so well. And then also being this terrifying super assassin who's like, just nothing but dead behind the eyes. Just it's, it's pain and then nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he is really, really good in The Winter Soldier. Um, there's like one or two, he has like, yeah, he has almost no dialogue. And so there's like one or two scenes that need to sell you on the idea that like this assassin who you see kill a bunch of people and have no feelings and basically be treated as an object, like one is a person that you should give a shit about and like empathize with and also a person that can and should be saved and that it's absolutely worth all the trouble steve's going through and i i've 100% believe it he's able to sell you on like there's a person in here who wants to be good in like right. just no given very little time <laughs> uh also he looks great he throws a knife around uh robert redford's mean to him uh he's just him and chris uh, evans wrestle a lot <laughs> <laughs> yes he looks fantastic he very much reminds me of that uh brooklyn 99 joke where charles is like you look like a sexy motorcycle 
Yeah, like he looks fantastic and he also looks like total shit because <laughs> he's got like raccoon eye mascara and like it just like cho a choppy haircut and he's just <laughs> he looks mad the whole movie uh so that's a you know it's hard to find an actor who can look great and awful simultaneously <laughs> yeah they really uh they really did a good job of casting someone who it's like he's fully feral but he's feral sebastian stan yeah um <laughs> also just like as a movie uh captain america the winter soldier is one of my favorite movies uh it's just always fun for me to watch uh it's not like ruined by knowing the twists uh, i love superhero movies and i think it's a good superhero movie i think it's a good just uh action movie because the fight scenes are incredible it's a good little spy thriller and i think it like it's a superhero movie it's not like deep it's a fucking marvel but i think it's very smart about what it is because the stuff it wants to say politically is like Drones are bad. Spying on civilians is bad. <laughs> uh, profiling shouldn't do it. Uh, if fascists get into an organiza organization, you got to shut it down. You can't compromise with fascism. You have to rebuild it. It sucks, but you got to do it. You can't be pulling punches with the fascism. So like, yeah, not that it's the only movie saying that stuff or anything like that, but I think it's like, for a Marvel movie, like it is actually saying something pretty straightforward, pretty solid message. L you love to see Captain America just beat the shit out of some fascists. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it as much as you do, but I um, revisiting it, I was really pleasantly surprised with um, how much enjoyable stuff is in there. I feel like um, it's so easy for your feelings about these movies to be colored by like the state of the film industry and like being like these are the only movies we get anymore um, yeah <laughs> but it uh it was nice rewatching it and being like oh yeah it's it's a fun time to watch if you don't think too much about disney marvel it's not the movie's fault that it's the only movie yeah and i appreciate that like given that it's the only movie it actually like is trying some stuff because i think it would be really easy to do a captain america movie where he's like a total fucking uh, centrist mm -hmm. where he's like the important thing is unity and that we're all friends and that's not that's not captain america's deal he's like uh the important thing is that if uh you're like fine with spying on people uh you've got to stop <laughs> no <laughs> Yeah, not, not fucking around with this uh, corporate run bullshit. No. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the sort of like the message suffers a lot from this like weird thing of being like, but we do have a bunch more seasons of a shield show that we gotta do and stuff like that. Um, yes, <laughs> you have to like watch it and be like, in this movie, we have to blow up shield and end it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, definitely. If you like, then look at uh, Steve in the like team of intros movies, you're like, okay, where's that energy here? <laughs> uh, but as an isolated film, I think it really works. And um, there's just some really fucking good fights. That scene where Bucky uh, punches through a windshield and grabs the steering wheel and just tosses that out of the car to crash a car. Incredible. Uh, that's cinema, baby. <laughs> 
All right. Next up is The Bronze, which is like a passion project of uh, Melissa Rausch from Big Bang Theory. And I thought this was uh, a, re- a really fun movie. Um, it's uh, a comedy that has like a very distinctive tone in a way that you don't see a lot anymore. And it reminded me of uh, the movies of my youth, like uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous or Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. And there's a uh, love triangle between Melissa Rowe and Sebastian Stan and Thomas Middleditch that is a lot of fun. And uh, her uh, Gary Cole as her dad is very good. Uh, it's it's a good time with with a lot of Sebastian Stan uh, being being a sleazeball in a pretty fun way. Yeah, I think it's definitely. I always appreciate seeing like a real real asshole of a female character <laughs> yes yeah she's a great character yeah the main character um is really good you understand why um the actress was so committed to making this because it is nice to see her get to just be like a piece of shit but also mm-hmm. pretty sympathetic and pretty funny um this is an R-rated film and it absolutely is only for teenage girls so it yes. should not be an R-rated film like there's um, the, the buzzy film, uh, not the, the, the buzz around this film when it first came out was, a there's a very explicit, uh, sex scene between, uh, her and Sebastian Stan's character that's supposed to be like, basically like that, uh, Team America puppet sex yes. scene, but like not with puppets. <laughs> they have to work so hard to make it like, um like uncomfortable and funny just because they both have such amazing bodies but they do really overcome that hurdle and make it more weird than sexy yeah it's yeah it's definitely like more weird than sexy but i don't think it ever gets um not sexy enough to be funny (laughs) so it's just sort of a weird long it's naked scene that i think easily could have been cut from this movie and then it could have been like pg-13 but uh, less so for being like, no, you will see my boobs in this film. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird because like, like you said, it seems so aimed at middle school girls. <laughs> and also just like, I know actresses talk a lot about like being pressured into getting naked, but it just feels like this is so like her movie that it just really feels like she was like, no, I'm doing full frontal in my movie. <laughs> and uh, I don't get it, but I love the energy. Uh, yeah, so Sebastian Stan plays, uh, <laughs> this is one of uh, two movies where he's like, I will derail uh, the career of a, an, an Olympic athlete uh, because of how hot I am. And uh, bless him for finding a niche. <laughs> yeah. He's just, yeah, he's a bad person in this movie. Uh, and that's fun to watch on occasion. Uh <laughs> Um, all right. Next up is Ant-Man, which, uh, I've previously talked about in our David Desmulchin episode. Uh, I think it's a real fun time. The Sebastian Stan scene is just a quick, uh, post credit scene. Um, so definitely no need to put this in your, in your Sebastian Stan-a-thons that everyone's doing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's a solid movie. Yeah. The post credit scene is just a scene from uh, Captain America Civil War that makes you think that 
Captain America Civil War will have more scenes where Bucky and Steve are in the same room uh, than exist in that film. It's a little misleading, but also I want to live in the world of Ant-Man where that is most of that yeah. film. <laughs> they they love doing post credit scenes for Bucky and then just not delivering on what they're promising at all. Yeah, they somehow know that people will pay tickets just for the promise, but they're like, he's not going to be in this movie, though. He's, <laughs> we don't like to hear him talk. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Someone at Marvel has a problem. Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, Ant-Man, also just a fun movie. Watch it anyway. Uh, just not for Sebastian Stan. But right. uh, a good time. A good time. <laughs> All right. Next up is Ricky and the Flash. Uh, I thought this movie was very annoying. It's the Meryl Streep movie where she's like a yeah, punk rock mom who like kind of like left her family to be independent. Um and just now trying to reunite with her kids. And uh, I feel like everything uh, people who hate dramedies say about dramedy movies is true in this one. It's just uh, just exhausting, not fun to watch, not funny, and not, you know, not that dramatic. Yeah, this movie was very frustrating because um, it was... Written by Diablo, uh, Diablo Cody, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, I obviously love Meryl Streep along with everyone else in the world. Uh, <laughs> I I like a lot of dramedies. I was there was several scenes in this movie where I was like, "This is a good scene," and then the movie would be like, "But we're not going to do anything with that." Um, <laughs> it's one of those frustrating films where like a character like their life will fucking blow and then they like decide to have a better attitude about it and then their mm -hmm. problems go away and that's not how real problems work like she's still a minimum wage worker she suddenly like gets a boyfriend who loves her because she's like oh i've decided i'll like love me <laughs> uh. <laughs> she's able to work things out with her kids by just showing up and like not causing a fight and it's like yeah i <laughs> like maybe the message is like life isn't that hard if you're just like going to be chill about things but uh it seemed at the beginning that she had real problems and those just go away <laughs> yeah there's so little point of view in this movie there's like a speech at the end where she's like the world is so sexist why is there all this pressure on moms to be perfect you know moms have to do everything and it's like I guess that is true, but also you like fully left your family. Like that is just a bad thing to do regardless of any sexism. Right. It's move leaving your family to start a band is one of the few things that movies also take men to task for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scenes where it seemed like she was gonna reconnect with her kids like in a significant way, like the whole movie was gonna be about her relearning how to fit into her kids' lives. I was into it, and that's just not actually what the movie's about i couldn't for sure tell you what the movie is about yeah uh and also she has uh one gay son and then sebastian stan is the son who's not gay which just felt like a like continuity error <laughs> really threw me off yeah felt like they uh mixed up the scripts on that one just like <laughs> sent it to the ground trailers uh i will say um a thing we have not talked about in sebastian stan's uh Career, one of his niches is that in a lot of these movies, uh, he's just uh, really gets along with his mom or his grandma or some sort of older woman. Just uh, 
in uh, Political Animals, he's like BFFs with his grandma. In uh, Kings, he uh, Prince Jack and Queen Rose have like a very weird but close relationship where like they work together. Uh, Rick in the Flesh is the only kid who's like, Mom, love ya. <laughs> um, it's, I like that his career is like, I am in, it's mostly characters that are like incredibly tortured, but they're always like, I am going to be nice and polite to this older lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will be a good grandson. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, next up is The Martian, which was a movie I really was not looking forward to. I was like, I don't want to watch just uh, Matt Damon alone in space. And then I thought it was so great. It was really, really fun. Um, you think it's going to be a huge bummer because it's about a guy fully stranded in space who's probably going to die. But then it just like is like a nice movie that you should like take your kids to. Yeah, The Martian is... Just a really nice, fun, feel-good movie. Um, obviously, it's smart in the sense that you will learn a lot about living alone in space. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, it's based on a book that was written by like an actual scientist, and it kept like trying to teach me what a leader was, and I wasn't <laughs> uh, wasn't there for that. But <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, given that it's a two and a half hour movie that's mostly one guy alone. Um, mm -hmm really engaging really fun um they definitely know how to keep things moving and uh just a good time definitely a movie you could watch with your parents i'll say that <laughs> yeah for sure uh sebastian stan doesn't have a great part it's just like um it, it, this is a movie that like as far as watching it for the cast uh like you should only watch it for matt damon he's like 90 percent of the movie um but uh Sebastian Stan's main arc is just at the end. They reveal that him and Kate Mara are in love for some reason. Yeah, um, there's a good a good look a good looking group of people on the spaceship and a good looking group of people on ground at NASA. <laughs> yeah. um, it's nice to watch for the cast in the sense of like it's a movie that has a lot of good actors in it for like a solid scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, Sebastian Sands, like, one thing is that him and Kate Mara are, like, secretly in love, mm -hmm. and every character gets, like, one thing, mm -hmm. um, like, Jessica Chastain, like, likes disco, that's it, <laughs> that's the movie, it's not about her at all, it's about the motion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's nice, this is nice, though, because it's, it marks, I think, when he's, like, an actual a-list actor where he's just going to show up in big movies just for no reason like they don't <laughs> need him there at all they're just sort of like we need to be able to say sebastian stan in the poster uh so good for him yeah oh and uh the martian has two youtube video shorts if you just want to see like the motion crew hanging out doing nothing particularly interesting yeah it's just the cast riffing <laughs> In that way where it's like, you're not an improviser. You're a beautiful actor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if for some reason you're like, I just want to see like Sebastian, Sch Sebastian Stan and Jessica Chastain, uh, <laughs> then fine. Yeah, uh, watch those instead. 
if you like those, watch the motion, but there's no reason to watch them like on your own if you're hanging out and you need something to watch. Uh, not for that. <laughs> yeah. Next up, Captain America Civil War. Um, this, what sort of like Winter Soldier, this is one that I did not hold in high esteem in my memory. And then revisiting it, I was like, there's a lot of fun stuff in this. Um, it's trying to do way, way too much. And all of the best characters are people who have nothing to do with the plot and truly have no idea what's going on. Like uh, Peter Parker and Scott Lang, who are both just like literally taking the side of the person who asked them first. Um, And then the more someone is like trying to believe in something like uh, Tony Stark, the more you're like, I have no idea what your deal is. Uh, But it's, it, it was a decent fun watch. I thought. Yeah. Civil War is a movie that kind of soured for me at the time because I had all these, like, I loved Winter Soldier so much, and then it felt, I was like, uh, Marvel, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) It seemed a lot like this uh, was a reaction to Marvel wanted to, like, compete with Batman versus Superman, because they're Mm -hmm. like, DC is doing this big event, we should do uh, a hero versus hero movie, but, like, no one ended up liking Batman versus Superman, uh, which you can hear us talk about on the Amy Adams episode. <laughs> so, like, the fact that the entire Marvel, like, world needed to be disrupted to respond to a thing that, like, wasn't even anything people gave a shit about. Uh, <laughs> embarrassing. And then also it just felt weird. The idea of this movie is like, oh, no, Captain America and Iron Man are going to ruin their close friendship over <laughs> political disagreements. But, like, the the movies never got around to showing them, like, be friends. Like, mm-hmm. they they just hit the point where they, would, they were, like, starting to be friends. <laughs> so when they're like, we're on different sides of the I- issue, I'm like, that man, sure, yeah, um, I don't care. <laughs> This isn't, you're, they're like, you're going to break up the Avengers. And I was like, yeah, you guys have hung out twice. Who gives a shit? <laughs> of course, Steve takes the side of a guy he's known for literally 100 years over you guys he's worked with, like, in two movies. Yeah. Um, I, just kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, the, the big difference with, like, my first... Uh, my first impression of this versus uh, revisiting it is just that like seeing it in the theater versus like putting it on, on Disney plus are just such vastly different experiences. And it's like, yeah, if you have been looking forward to it since winter soldier and then paid $20 for it and then have to sit and watch it with no distractions, it's a huge disappointment. If you just like put it on one afternoon using your parents, Disney plus account, you're like, Oh cool. Ant-Man's here. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot more, uh, watching it this time. I think partially because I could watch it with like no expectations. Like I fully know mm. none of the stuff they talk about pays off in any <laughs> interesting or significant way. So I don't need to be watching this movie being like, but if that happens, what'll that mean fully? I know it doesn't matter. I can just <laughs> watch it as a thing happening in this scene that I can then forget about. Um, I think it actually is like, I think it's well done. I like. I disagree with the choices Marvel made for 
where to take the story of all of the Avenger characters. But I think as like a movie, if like those are the things they have to do, they do it well. Um, like I understand why Steve's worked up about stuff. I understand why Tony's worked up about stuff. It's got a lot of really good fight scenes. Um, got some good, uh, I don't know, like little outfits. I <laughs> <laughs> mostly like mostly really good fight scenes. I'll say that. Um, it's nice to watch Steve do some Steve stuff. I wish it had been a movie about Steve doing Steve stuff. I love <laughs> Iron Man, but I kept, I spent this whole movie being like, Tony, get out of here. This isn't your movie. <laughs> yeah, they did this weird thing where I think Captain America was the most popular, which weirdly made them be like, so his movies will be like the big ensemble movies. And it's like, that's not how that works. If he's the most popular, he should be getting his own movies where we're not like, oh, we have to make room for Wanda also. Yeah, like, Thor 3 is so fucking good, and it's because they're like, who do we love? We love Thor, let's, we'll bring in, we'll bring in Hulk, but, like, that's it, and we'll just have a little adventure, and that's also what, like, really worked for me about Captain America 2, is it was like, we'll do an Iron Man thing, he'll hang out with Black Widow, but it's not really about other people, uh, and I really wanted that for this movie, and they were like, no, it's going to be just another Avengers team-up movie. And I think that the team-up movies are, like, just the weakest every time. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's Real diminishing returns on trying to shove everybody into a movie. Yeah. And I think um, I talked about how, even though obviously, like, not that deep, I do like the messages of uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Like, I like its point of view. And Captain America Civil War is the the political debate they're having like you can read into it stuff about like abuse of power or like the nature of guilt or revenge or whatever but like in a literal sense it's about okay so if there was a group of superhumans and they went around doing um vigilante work uh should that be regulated and that's not a real situation mm -hmm. you can't apply that to real world politics it's, like, even at least with the X-Men, like, there's the issue of, like, kind of how to, you know, segregation or, like, how to mm -hmm. treat people who are different than you. And that's not even, like, really part of the Avengers because half of them are humans. Yeah, and, like, it's, <laughs> it's like an X-Men movie that doesn't make sense because, yeah, like, Tony and Natasha keep offering their opinions, but they're, like, just regular people. Um, and it's very weird to be like someone who chooses to wear a mech is exactly <laughs> the same as a metahuman. And then like some of the Avengers are aliens from another dimension. Um, so yeah, it's a real, it's a real mess. Yeah. So it's like, it's just truly not saying anything. Um, and it's also really frustrating because there's so much buildup of, like the way Captain America ends, you're like, okay. Bucky is starting his journey of remembering who he is. Um, Steve is looking for him. They're going to reunite and they do reunite in Civil War, but it's like, it's so briefly, like it's technically like a day <laughs> that they hang out. 
Yeah, there's so much other stuff going on. The the Tony Stark stuff takes up so much of the movie and is like just so weird and incoherent. It truly lost me. And I like, I love Tony Stark and I stuck with him through a lot of stuff like Age of Ultron just being like, look, I built this world destroying robot because I had anxiety and insomnia one night. Like I was able to be like, yeah, sure. Like sometimes you have insomnia (laughs) and you build a world destroying robot on accident. Like I was with him through that. But then in this one, when he's like, what if we threw all metahumans in prison or whatever he wants to do? I'm not even sure. I was just like, you have completely lost me. It's so obvious that they're like, we've reached the point in the franchise where uh, these characters need to split up and have some huge ideological debate. But like, they completely neglected to do the work in (laughs) Avengers 1 and Age of Ultron where like... um we're invested in that so it really feels like they're just having an argument because it's time for them to have a big argument right yeah i think they were like (laughs) lifting a lot of ideological arguments like from the comics but like not actually like telling the full stories that make those ideological arguments make sense so they seem like very out of nowhere exactly like in the comics Uh, Iron Man and Captain America have been like co-running the team and being like very close friends and strong allies for like 50, 100 years. I don't even fucking know, like lifetimes. (laughs) And this is like, yeah, uh, it's our third movie. I guess we're, (laughs) (laughs) guess it's time. Um, Yeah, I was, um, I think, I like Bucky a lot in this movie. Uh, if we're talking about Sebastian Stan, I think he does a really good job. Um, I think it's definitely a good showcase for him and um, a good place to move the character, especially since like he's just kind of a hint of a character in uh, Winter Soldier and in Civil War. He is like kind of an actual person. He is making his own decisions for a lot of the movie. <laughs> um, and I want to shout out a particular scene um where he kind of like tells steve um that he doesn't think he's uh worth all this trouble and uh, because he actually did do all of this stuff even if he didn't um like even if he didn't know he was doing it he did it and i think sebastian stan's delivery of that um makes you feel like bucky experiences remorse just enough for me to be on board with the entire film like, if if a weaker actor um, didn't make me feel like that character actually like felt like shit about all of this, then the whole movie would kind of fall apart. And yeah. I'd be like, don't save that guy. Uh, this isn't worth the trouble at all. Um, so I do think it's given how few lines he has, um, the acting really does carry it because it's. It's a big ask for you to be like, okay, um, the Avengers are going to break up and half of them are going to become criminals and go into hiding because we need to believe that this one character is a good enough person to merit that. And he, he pulls it off. And I want to shout him out for that. But it's, uh, it, don't love where Marvel took it. Don't love where Marvel yeah. took it. <laughs> He also has some good sort of like punchy little scenes with um, Anthony Mackie uh, where they're sort of like 
doing like uh just like quick like deadpan stuff uh which i really like because um in winter soldier we didn't get to see bucky just like be a guy and this is his first time where it'll just like cut to bucky just like being a guy in the car yeah it's it's nice he's like he's a he's a deadly assassin but he's also you know he's got a sense of humor he's having fun uh <laughs> Oh man, uh, yeah, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie were like geniuses because I imagine at some point on the press tour for uh, Winter Soldier, they must have had like some sort of conversation where they're like, one of us is getting the franchise after Chris Evans leaves. Mm -hmm. But if we play this right, we can both keep getting those Marvel checks. We just gotta <laughs> play up that we are best friends. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, they play off of each other really, really well. I'm really excited for their show. And in, whenever they do, like, press tours, they're, they're playing up that they are good buddies. Uh, I hope I would like to believe that that was true, but I also think it would just be a very smart business decision on their <laughs> part. Because, uh, yeah, they, they really run away with it in a way that is good because uh, they're getting a show. <laughs> Uh, did we come to an actual conclusion about Civil War? We did not. Uh, that's kind I mean, of what the movie's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just everyone having unclear intentions, but saying a lot of stuff. There's no better way to, to honor Civil War than that. Uh, all right, next up is uh, I'm Dying Up Here, the Showtime show, uh, just the pilot. Um, uh this is just uh, another one of those uh, dramedies about stand-up that we keep getting. Uh, not sure what the appeal is, because I feel like uh, the appeal of stand-up comedy is the jokes, but development executives really uh, really seem to feel different. Yeah, um, this is also one of those dramedies where they're like, we're just, uh, the pilot is just for setting stuff up. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all a pilot's for. Um, so definitely, like, after watching this pilot, I didn't feel a strong urge to watch more of the show. Um, it has a good cast. Um, they did some good performances. I really enjoyed uh, when Ari uh, Greynor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when she did her good set at the end, I was like, good for you. But I felt pretty complete after that. <laughs> yeah, I could see this being a good show if I watched a full season, maybe. But it's not, the pilot is not a good episode of television and Sebastian Stan isn't interesting in it. Yeah, he plays a stand-up that all the other stand-ups are very jealous of and then he kills himself and it's supposed to be kind of this thing of like, oh, the thing with stand-up is it's not going to make you happy, but you still go crazy going after it. And like, yeah, I've done stand-up and that is the vibe. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not, uh, it's not because a hot person kills themselves. It's <laughs> just because you don't know any happy stand-ups. Uh, <laughs> um, a thing I liked about this is that... Um, in King's Political Animals and the pilot of I'm Dying Up Here, uh, Sebastian Stan uh, co-stars with 
uh, Dylan Baker, and I hope that in real life they're friends, and that's why they keep doing work together. Um, that's probably not how that works. I'm sure they just have uh, the same agent. <laughs> it would be nice because I always enjoy those scenes together. Um, Dylan Baker, I think, plays Carson or a Carson-esque host of a show. <laughs> um. Yeah, my review of I'm Dying Up Here is that there should be an indie movie where Sebastian Stan plays Dylan Baker and Becky Ann Baker's third. Uh, my review is that hot people shouldn't do stand-up. Uh. Uh, yes, so true. <laughs> um, all right, next up is Logan Lucky. I feel like whenever I talk about this movie, I kind of undersell it because like there's not a lot to say about it. But it is like a super fun feel good movie if you're looking for something to watch. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I I got to admit, when I watch a heist movie, I want it to be all super sleek, fancy people. Mm-hmm. But I do like that Logan Lucky is like a super solid heist movie that's about very regular, non fancy people, um, and those not like gadgets or whatever. Like they're literally just using like stuff from their jobs. um yeah it's got a really great cast it's uh it's a good little heist movie um everyone's doing a different accent which i (laughs) love in a movie when just every single actor is doing a different version of an accent and none of them are totally nailing it uh (laughs) always fun um yeah (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed the vibe uh there's a lot of uh, sexy guys in it who are, like, sexy in a way you don't always get in movies of, like, you're going to, like, fix my car for me, uh, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, the Sebastian Stan part isn't huge, but I do like that for some reason in the middle he just gets a big, like, montage with a voiceover for some reason. Uh, and, like... There, there's just suddenly like gratuitous uh, Sebastian Stan doing stretches in like tight shorts, uh, which, you know, Steven Soderbergh gets it. If you're going to cast Sebastian Stan, you have to have a montage of him doing stretches in tight shorts. Yeah, Sebastian Stan plays a uh, NASCAR driver who gets like a super serious sequence where he's, it's almost like a Cribs thing where it's like, this is, <laughs> this is my routine. This is my home. This is my lifestyle where he's just incredibly seriously is like you know my body is a my body is a machine and I got to be careful about all the stuff I eat and like I got to do blankety blank push-ups a day or whatever and it's um I like that it's very funny and what and he plays it so completely straight because I think um like maybe if they had gotten an actual comedy actor they would have tried to do like something a little silly with the character and he's like no, this is a guy who has no sense of humor about himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think um, it's a good, it's a good getting a more dramatic actor to do a comedy role part um, because he just he plays it so seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the guy seems very ridiculous. Uh, yeah, Logan Lucky is definitely a fun watch. Great cast. Love a heist movie. With your time. <laughs> yep. um, all right. Next up is I, Tanya. I feel like this uh, this movie suffered a lot for me because I didn't see it until uh, until we were watching Sebastian Stan movies for this. So it was like at this point, 
it had been praised so much and recommended it to me so much. And by the time I saw it, I was kind of like, I don't fully get this movie. Yeah, it's weird to think that Itania is like the Oscar movie that he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's weird because it's um it's like not enough of like a like full on uh Oscar bait biopic, but it does it also doesn't really commit to being just like drop dead gorgeous except about Tanya Harding, which would have been really good. Um but it's like it's like more silly than most biopics, but not actually funny. Yeah, I uh, I think I like I liked it more than you did. I um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Um, it's definitely like uh, I think yeah. You told me that it, Tanya Harding herself was very involved in this, and it's the movie is very pro Tanya. It definitely is all about making you feel feel sympathetic towards her and feeling like what happened wasn't her fault. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like in the world where they like d- weren't working with Tanya Harding, um, it would I feel like I would end up liking her more in a movie that was much more like, uh, yeah, she did all this stuff, but for reasons and you're just like, yeah, like, uh, you know, movies get you to like people who do bad things all the time. But in this, I feel like it kind of falls flat because there's just like so little commitment. It, like the point, the point of view of the movie is who knows what happened, which is not like an interesting point of view. And I feel like it makes her a very passive character. And I would like actually end up liking her more if she was just more like active and unapologetic. Yeah, I ended up liking her a lot, but I think it was because Margot Robbie just, like, really commits to showing you how hungry Tiny mm-hmm. Harding is to win, that, like, I'm I'm totally conditioned in movies. If I see someone want it bad enough, I want them to get it. I want them to win. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought the, like, Olympic stuff was very good, and the thing of, like, um, her being the best but not winning just because like people don't like her is a theme that like gets me every time and it's just like so fucking good and I feel like they should have maybe like if they uh focused on being a sports movie more it would have worked a lot better because then they wouldn't even have to like comment on the other stuff but then like it quickly starts being just like a crime movie that refuses to like actually give you any details of the crime um which is not interesting to watch yeah, it was definitely all over the place, but I would still really recommend it, um, mostly for Margot Robbie's performance and um, I know good use of music. Uh, things kept moving. I'll say that. <laughs> things kept moving. Um, I also, I was very hesitant to watch this movie because Sebastian Stan plays a piece of shit abusive husband, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, when I watch Sebastian Stan stuff, I want to have a good time. <laughs> Um, I think he's, uh, as just a professional actor, he's very good in this. It's nice to see him um, get, like, meaty, big-budget roles, uh, especially, like, ones that aren't just him being a hot guy. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah, uh, Margot Robbie and Allison Janney are definitely, like, the reason to see the movie. Um, But Sebastian Stan is also very good, and... Um, I did feel like he had, he, like, 
he earned this uh, because so many, so many hot actors are like ugly in every movie. And you're just like, why the fuck can I not find a sexy Chris Evans movie or like Mm -hmm. a sexy Christian Bale movie or whatever. Um, But Sebastian Stan really put in the work giving us lots and lots of footage of him being beautiful before being like, I'm going to do my one bad mustache Oscar bait movie. Uh. Yeah, and his bad mustache Oscar bait movie is about him being like a supporting character in Margot Robbie's life. (laughs) Uh, Even if he himself is not a good guy, like it's it's not like an ego role, you know, like you don't feel mm-hmm. like he took this role because he's like, I'm going to look so good and I'm going to get an Oscar for this. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was interested in playing a role than in just this actual film. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would recommend, but it's definitely, um, it's weird that this was like a huge Oscar movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Our next one is the movie I'm Not Here. Not to be confused with the Bob Dylan movie, I'm Not There. Uh, this one is just... Uh, I was really surprised how late in his career it was because it feels so much uh, like one of those uh, early career movies where it's like, oh yeah, the person wasn't in real movies yet. Yeah, um, this movie has a truly incredible cast and it's um, obviously a student film in quality um it's baffling it's completely baffling to me (laughs) um okay it's not baffling i figured out what happened which is um the director is married to jk simmons who is like the star of this movie and i imagined that you know the Michelle and JK uh, called a bunch of their actor friends and was like, were like, are you free for a weekend? We're going to shoot a movie. And that's uh, how this worked. <laughs> but it's like embarrassing to watch uh, like Mandy Moore and Max Greenfield just like pretend like it's like they're doing a bit from it's like they're doing like Far From Heaven as a bit, but like <laughs> it's played dead serious. But like they thought they were doing a bit. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, just excruciating uh, bad drama. But uh, yeah, I did start feeling affection for it after you said that it was directed by J.K. Simmons's wife, because now instead of being like, why does this exist? I'm like, oh, that's just love. Yeah, it's I do like that there's a bunch of beautiful actors in this. And instead they're like, so there's going to be a lot of shots of uh, J.K. Simmons's uh, naked body in this for no reason. <laughs> not even like looking good like it's not even like hey check out my husband like it's he's playing a like a very sick alcoholic so it's just him looking like shit and like (laughs) naked (laughs) and that's I guess the kind of thing you only do uh do for your spouse (laughs) um this movie is uh frustrating one because it's truly terribly written like it's doesn't even feel like a first draft. Like, it feels like the draft you, like, send to a friend to be like, is this even worth doing a draft of? <laughs> um, Sebastian Stan plays a young J.K. Simmons, which doesn't make any sense. And also they dye his hair blonde, which also doesn't make sense. Because, like, it's not like you're like, oh, he has to be blonde to match J.K. Simmons. <laughs> um, His love interest is um the girl from It Follows and the guest, who I really... uh. So 
Mika Marone. I'm probably I butchered that, I bet. But like she's a really talented, fun, like horror actress who's able to do a lot of the same sort of vibe as Sebastian Stan in terms of like emoting and knowing how seriously to take a role. And I would just really love to watch those two star together in a movie. And this is a huge disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, it's not a good showcase of anyone's talent. Like, even though it's an indie movie that's just like, uh, here are a bunch of scenes with people doing slice of life stuff. Like, it's not even good for just being like, oh, okay, these two actors are going to be in a scene. And yeah, maybe the script isn't boring, but it's it's not even good for that. Um, mm. Just a huge skip, absolutely skip this one. Uh, yeah, nothing to recommend for it. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, all right, next up is Black Panther, which we did not talk about on the Michael B. Jordan episode because it came out uh, a little bit after we did that episode. So we're finally talking about it now for Sebastian Stan, who is in the post credits scene. <laughs> um. I'll say this for Black Panther, um, powerhouse performance from Michael B. Jordan. Um, mm -hmm, definitely yeah. watch that for him. <laughs> uh, incredibly charismatic villain, um, a joy to watch. Um, Sebastian Stan, uh, when he shows up, uh, he's hanging out with goats and that's nice, but it's one scene and I think he maybe says something. I, he might not even get his sad card for this, to be honest. <laughs> he might not even, they like, put him in a wig and like put him in a field and I think that was it like I don't know if there's any prep work for this movie at all <laughs> yeah it's also weird because um at the end of Civil War there's so much like suspense about like how he's gonna like work out his issues and when he'll be able to be a person again and um the end of Black Panther is just so clearly like he had a bunch of therapy off screen and it's like as so as like a person watching this, who's been invested in Bucky Barnes for like 10 years or whatever it is, you're just like, Oh, I guess I'm glad he's fine now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the actual plot of black Panther takes place literally a week after civil war, which is, um, Oh wow. <laughs> T'Challa's having a hell of a week. Uh, <laughs> So it, that makes it me feel like Bucky's big problem was he needed to wash his hair. And then like once he does that, he's like, oh, I'm feeling a lot better. Um, yeah. Well, like I, I'm assuming that the post-credit sequence takes place um, months after the events of Black Panther. But like there's no way to actually know that. Um, <laughs> it's definitely... It is a scene that exists and you have no idea where it takes place in the timeline. Like, I think it's in, it's supposed to take place like five minutes before Infinity War, but who even mm -hmm. knows? Um, it's just him in a field with goats, which is nice. Like, it's a nice scene. Um, and I think Black Panther is absolutely worth watching. It just obviously not really a Sebastian Stan movie. In right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Black Panther, super fun movie. Uh, Incredible cinematography, really well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, next up is Avengers Infinity War, uh, which I truly hated. It made me so just depressed. Like I was like truly felt worse about the world for like 24 hours after seeing this movie. Um, I thought it was 
just unbearable. <laughs> Here's what I like about okay. Avengers Infinity War. Um, is there's this huge thing in TV now where like they're like, we don't really think of it as a TV show. It's more like a 10-hour movie. Um, and Avengers Infinity War is not a movie. It's a three-hour TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's an interesting thing that they did. It was, it's like um, when they do those, like, if you were going to, like, jump into Game of Thrones and you hadn't, like, seen the last two seasons, it was kind of like a super cut where we're like, we're just going to show you all the important scenes you need so that you can follow up what happens next. Um, so I think there's a lot of good scenes in Infinity War. Um, it's just... Um, Kind of a weird, sad movie that ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> the, that I don't feel is resolved in a satisfactory manner and isn't worth the wait. But they, they for some reason, were like, we gotta do a thing that ruins everyone's lives. And they did that. <laughs> well, what's frustrating about the later Marvel movies is that they do try to do so much stuff that TV does without realizing that, like, the reason TV works is that you have time to watch characters just like hang out. Um, and so like the, the Marvel movies are like, if you had legends of tomorrow, but instead of like Mick and Sarah, sometimes just like eating breakfast together, you only got the scenes where they're like, uh, I refuse to work with you. And then like, I love you. I'll die for you. Um, and they were just like, presented as that and you just never see um never see anyone chilling uh it's uh it's terrible <laughs> the, the, the later marvel movies are just uh like television's tether and uh i i i loathe this in every way and it's also just ugly um like uh all the russo movies have parts uh that are hideous uh, I think they're not good visually at all, but Infinity War is like the worst one in terms of just like looking like a, a painting from a kiosk at the mall. Um, everything is so clearly just like filmed in a warehouse in New Jersey and green screened in later. Um, and the the cliffhanger just made me so mad because um, it was just like the point of it is that nothing matters. Like you're, they expect you to like feel something about this while also being like, oh, okay, I know another movie will undo this. And it's just like, like manipulative, but like beyond manipulative because you're like, you know, nothing matters, but they do this long indulgent tearjerker scene. And it's like, they're like, putting it on you like you have to do the work of caring even though we don't care about any of this it's uh yeah i don't think i've don't know if i've ever been so depressed about a movie experience and i like i read about it beforehand and was like uh obviously i am not gonna see a movie that does that it's terrible and then i had to watch it for this and i was like yeah that is exactly as terrible as uh it sounded <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I um, I wasn't that sad at the end of Infinity War because I was like, okay, they'll be back next movie. 
which I think is really speaks to the problem of it is, which is like, yeah, this doesn't matter. Um, and again, in like terms of the follow through for the like, the actual characters involved is it's like frustrating because at the end of Infinity War, um, Steve loses uh, Bucky again, and he also loses Sam, his new best friend. And uh, he's like, he just has no one. And it's like, Chris Evans does a good job of just conveying like, oh, I'm fucking done. I've done a hundred years of this shit. And I, this is, this is too much, man. I, I don't know what to do. Um, but then at the start of Avengers Endgame, like he's sad, but they don't actually do anything with the concept of Captain America lost everything. It's just that he's sad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and what's really and, like you'd be sad no matter what. Like you didn't need to if you're gonna take away everyone who matters to a main character. Like there needs to be like an actual story there. You can't be like otherwise the audience won't know that he's sad. Yeah, and what's really frustrating is that they want him losing Bucky to be a big moment. First off, this isn't the thing I was going to say, but that moment was like a laugh out loud moment for me because it looks so fucking stupid. Every <laughs> single time someone got blipped, I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> um, I do like that Bucky is just sort of like, uh, something's... <laughs> <laughs> yes! It's such a like Rick and Morty sequence. Um, but anyway, um, what's really frustrating about it is that... Um, they they want Bucky, uh, Steve losing Bucky to be this big emotional moment. But like prior to that, they just like hadn't hung out because they just like forgot to or something. Right. Um, yeah. Steve's been on the run for like five years for Bucky. But like then you find out that they're not hanging out. And it's like, so what? Why are you on the run? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh. Bucky has been closer to, um, I can't remember her name, Black Panther's little sister, Shuri. Yeah, that's sounds... But Bucky has been closer to Shuri than to Steve at this point in the franchise. Like, we're supposed to be invested in this friendship that seems like it is just, like, Steve and Bucky maybe, like, texting each other and be like, we should hang out soon. <laughs> and, like... I'll be honest with you, I would definitely watch um, a full movie where, like, the main subplot is this this guy has um, overthrown empires to get his best friend back, and then they kind of realize that, like, now that they're in their 30s, they don't have that much in common anymore. <laughs> like, that's a great movie, and I would absolutely love to watch that. I think, like, oh, you know what? People just kind of grow apart when they get older. We, we have... Uh, we don't have that much in common anymore. You've been an assassin. I've been an Avenger. Uh, but that's not it at all. Um, they just want... They want you to just do the work yourself of being invested in this thing that they're not going to give any screen time to. Um, and I understand that Infinity War has literally a thousand characters and it's mm -hmm. hard to uh, juggle all of them. But they made time for Peter Quill's parent issues and they made time for Wanda and Vision have a, um, a, like, 
star-crossed love affair <laughs> for some reason they're like that's a huge thing that you're definitely invested in and it's like i'm aware <laughs> there one scene in civil war what are you talking about um so it was it felt very yeah uh cheap and manipulative that they were like oh um you guess what steve and bucky have been up to this whole time and it's like no that's actually your job as the <laughs> franchise that has a gazillion dollars to just maybe like you tell us what's going on in the plot of the main characters uh, <laughs> uh yeah it's definitely like it's cool to watch a movie with so many characters um I I hate to give Marvel credit for that whole like most ambitious crossover thing, but like it is fun to see a crossover that ambitious, I guess. But it's kind of more interesting as like a cultural moment, an experiment to be like, here's I guess how they did that, mm-hmm. and maybe we can learn from that going forward. But um, I wouldn't like sit down and watch this and be like, this is a standalone movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Next up is Destroyer. Uh, I enjoyed this. I, I had to watch it twice because um, it's a little, I think, hard to get into. Um, it doesn't like necessarily like suck you in as much as it could. Um, but I thought it was like pretty interesting. Um, it's a Nicole Kidman action movie. And it's like um, an action movie with like a lot of emotional weight. That's like much more of like a character study. Um, and yeah, I thought it was like cool and different. And there's a, you know, a flashback of uh, Nicole Kidman telling Sebastian Stan, he's got a great ass and Sebastian Stan being like, it's all yours. And that's really all I want from any movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Destroyer is like, it's not for me, which is almost a relief because like it's um it's a crime movie about like um an old haggard cop who's like very bitter and cynical. Um and they're like the only one who can crack this case and I uh just really don't care for those movies at all and I had always assumed it was because all those movies are about men. And I, uh, I'm like, these just movies aren't for me. And watching one that stars uh, Nicole Kidman, I was like, oh, good. I just don't like these films and it's not a sexism thing. Yeah, uh, it's a, <laughs> so it's, it's a really, relief in that regard. <laughs> it's a really interesting movie, I think, because it is such a dad movie in most ways. Like watching it, I was like, it's weird I'm watching this. I feel like my relationship to this movie should be my dad is like, hey, I rented Destroyer and I liked it. And then I'm like, hey, good for you. And that's the only time I ever think about Destroyer. But then at the same time, it like has a lot of like very explicitly like female themes. Like it's not just, um, I think, I feel like there are a lot of movies where they just like um, put in a woman and it could have been anybody, but this is like very like commenting on being a woman while just being like such a dad movie. And I thought that, um, yeah, it's it's not my cup of tea either, but I thought that was really interesting um, for a movie to do. Yeah, I definitely think it's a really solid film in that genre. Um, like the fact that that genre isn't for me doesn't mean that I don't think it was really well done. Um, a thing I really like is that um, I'm not going to give away spoilers just because like the movie genuinely doesn't really have twists. So you almost like it's worth just a... Uh, 
going in blind because there's not much else going on in that movie. It's pretty straightforward. It's confusingly done, but uh, I'm, be- I'm making this more confusing than it is. <laughs> um, a crime went wrong 17 years ago, and then the movie in the present uh, has old Nicole Kidman sort of like dealing with the repercussions still. And they make 17 years later Nicole Kidman like look like absolute shit. And I really um, admire that because she's a very beautiful woman. And um, usually they don't let women look like just total shit on screen. Like usually they give like them like they just like take the makeup off. But she looks genuinely sick the whole film. (laughs) She looks like she's just uh, withering away. And uh, this movie was... Uh, directed by a female director, uh, Karen uh, Kuzama, who directed Jennifer's Body, which I think is why it's good at objectifying men. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's just like really nice to see a female perspective on this type of um, like heist, bitter cop, LA is trash, um, my daughter doesn't respect me type films. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's an interesting... Um entry in the uh the perving on sebastian stan uh genre of movies because he like he's not a pretty boy but he still like looks good um which is it's a very new sebastian stan to be like oh you're a hot guy who also like genuinely has never gotten his hair professionally done and is like probably smells um (laughs) and uh, i i like that for him yeah, and he, I, plays, no, he plays Nicole Kidman's love interest, and I think um, it's the it's really good to watch them together. They they make a yeah. believable a list couple. <laughs> They're so <laughs> great together, <laughs> and um, like watching the final scene with them, um, that's like really like emotional. I kind of like felt bad that this was such a like um, uh. It, it didn't really like break out. It wasn't like a hit in any way uh, because I feel like there after filming that scene with Nicole Kidman, you would be like, yeah, my career is made. Like, <laughs> like not that he has trouble getting roles, but like trouble getting like interesting, like serious roles. And like, it kind of sucks that even though this was like a really good role alongside Nicole Kidman, it just didn't like break out. Yeah. Like I think, if there was a movie where you were like, oh yes, that big Oscar movie where Sebastian Stan uh, plays the um, kind of morally ambiguous love interest to an A-list actress, it, Destroyer would make so much more sense than Itania. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet, um, yeah, it's a solid spy movie. It is nice because he's, um, he's like the only good person in the movie and he, um, He's only in the flashbacks, so he just stays hot the whole time. Uh, <laughs> uh, unlike everyone else, where they're like, they get like uh, Tatiana Masali, but like they make her look terrible mm-hmm. later. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, it's a solid film. Not yeah, not my cup of tea, but like definitely a good movie for what it is. And sh- I think should have been taken a lot more seriously in um, awards. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Next up is uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, uh, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Wow. <laughs> I was, uh, I was 
dreading seeing this because of how much I hated um, Infinity War. And then when I saw it and it was actually like delightful and just like a comedy about time travel, I was so relieved. I was like, oh, in between movies, someone went up to them and was like, hey, uh, movies are supposed to be fun and people actually like watch them for entertainment and enjoyment. And they were like, oh, oh, okay. I totally (laughs) forgot that. No, that's fair. Um, I love all the time travel stuff in this movie. I very genuinely do. Um, It's, yeah, I think like, again, it's like, it's really the big picture stuff that bothers me Mm -hmm. about this, um, which I, like I said, like when I saw Civil War, I didn't like it. And then when I rewatched it as as, like a movie, I was like, this is totally fine. Uh, And I'm sure I'll end up feeling that same way about Endgame. Yeah, it's Endgame just, was like, terrible at ending the story, the big yes. thing it was supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, like when I think about, um, yeah, that uh, they were like, we need to make sure Tony Stark has a daughter so that we can feel extra bad when he dies. I'm like, why are we doing this? But when it's stuff like, uh, we're going to finally give Nebula scenes. I'm like, well, that's great. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the I this movie is like so fun and has such a like just like spirit of like entertainment that you haven't seen in the like big ensemble movies in so long. Like really since like the first Avengers. Um, and so that was so fun. And then there's just like an abrupt point, like 80 minutes in where um it basically becomes infinity war again of just like everything's gonna look like shit uh there's gonna be a lot of fighting and a lot of like people being sad in very like unearned moments um but yeah the first half of endgame and the second half are like very different movies in my mind yeah and i uh, having watched The Leftovers, um, the idea that Marvel is like, we're just going to do The Leftovers, but um, we don't have time to do what was interesting about that show, which was people dealing with it. We just have time to be like, people are dealing with it, and you got to assume that it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, like, Hawkeye became a serial killer to deal with his emotions, and they just, like, brush right by that. Yeah, they don't show you how he became a serial killer, and they don't show you... um how he deals with the guilt of stopping which are the two interestings about that they're just sort of like we'll show him kill a bunch of guys and that'll be a fun scene and then we'll be like but uh hey stop and he'll be like okay (laughs) yeah someone planning this movie was like okay one-fourth the leftovers then one-fourth legends of tomorrow then one-fourth infinity war again and then just a bunch of like backdoor pilots for disney plus stuff um insane movie formula (laughs) and like look um independently all of those are working for me it's just it's a weird it's uh it's four great tastes that taste terrible together in my opinion (laughs) like i so i Someone I know saw it and like afterwards he was like, I liked it, but I was just like, this is not a movie. And I like, I kind of agree with that assessment. Nothing about this is a movie. Uh, Yeah, definitely watching it for Sebastian Stan. um, It's does not do any service to his character. um, Nope. 
They, I guess it, it it brings him back from the dead, so that's mm-hmm. good. Well, uh, technically, spoiler. Black Panther does that. <laughs> oh, wait, no, you're right, yeah. I forgot how many times they brought him back. Um, yeah, um, yeah he gets nice. brought back from the dead for, like, the fifth time. Um, <laughs> good, good for him. Uh, yeah, it's good for his character in terms of the fact that he's not um, a pile of dust. <laughs> Because I think that would have made, like, a much worse TV show than whatever they're <laughs> planning. Um, but it's bad for his character because, like, again, after Civil, like, Captain America 1, uh, Steve is, uh, Steve's whole reason of, like, deciding to become Captain America and single-handedly take on the German army is because Bucky gets captured and needs, needs to save him. Uh, Captain America Civil War, Steve overthrows S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so that he can get Bucky back from Hydra. <laughs> Captain America 3, Steve takes on the U.N. and all the, uh, all the world superpowers um, so that he can save Bucky again. Um, and then in Infinity War, they hug once. <laughs> and then in Endgame, uh, Steve claps him on the shoulder and is like, I'm out of here. I'll never see you again. And um, I don't think that that's how storytelling works. <laughs> yeah. The the franchise is so frustrating because they just spend so, so many years of my life being like, uh, oh, what's going on with Bucky? When when will he and Steve be friends again? And when will he, you know, sort out everything he's gone through? And just like, when will, when will Bucky be happy and be friends with Steve? And then they're just abruptly like, Hey, you really care about these these this evil alien and his two daughters, right? And it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot these movies have a lot of scenes of Thanos, and I'm like, I genuinely never need to know about the personal lives of the supervillains. Um, if it's a TV show, yeah, I'm into that. We gotta flesh out all the characters in a TV show. In a movie. Uh, we got two hours. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're killing people. They don't need a. They don't need to have their daughters involved in this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very frustrating. Um, what what they do or do not uh, show, like being like, we gotta we gotta have Tony Stark and his daughter. You you totally care about that daughter he suddenly has, right? Yeah. Um, the worst part is like I see people be really emotionally affected by that storyline, and I'm like, why? Because <laughs> the kid was in a scene in a movie. Like I, we don't know anything about. Come on. She also she's a fucking billionaire, so she's fine. I don't. <laughs> yeah, and it's not to dunk on a child, but like uh, she'll be fine. Who cares? <laughs> um. So the thing about Tony's death is that it feels like it just it's like so obviously only happened because Robert Downey Jr. didn't renew his contract. And it's just very frustrating that it's supposed to be a a big emotional moment and they just did not sell it at all. Yeah, I think a thing that works for me about Tony's death in that movie is that like that Simpsons bit, uh, Tabir, the solution and cause of all of our problems. <laughs> and that's Tony Stark in the Marvel Universe. Like, Aww. he is, uh, he fixes so many problems and he is also the very direct cause of so many problems. 
And I think uh, it makes sense to end an era by like being like, and Tony Stark is no longer doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Even though in Spider-Man Far From Home, he is still the cause of the problem. Just had to give that teenager drones. (laughs) Had to do it. (laughs) Um, Who among us hasn't um, kidnapped a 15-year-old, flown them to Germany, uh, involved them in uh, Black Ops wet work, and then also sent them drones uh, when they're like 60? (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird friendship. Uh, I like it. That's not a dig. I quite enjoy uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man's friendship, but it is so weird. (laughs) Um, okay, I retract my fuck this fuck that movie uh, statement. It's just that like, literally, this franchise has been going on for like ten years, and it's just is not a satisfying conclusion for this chapter and a lot of promises that have been made and bloody blah, 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 blah. But it is it is entertaining. Um, it's hard to get past stuff like the Russo's gay moment in the Marvel franchise, where you like. <sighs> Almost by having it, like, watching that scene, you're like, oh, they're never actually going to have real gay characters. <laughs> this is, like, worse than when there were none, and you're like, maybe they forgot, where you're like, oh, they think this is this is them working with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So it's just, like, it's a lot of big picture stuff like that that really irks me, but, like, every scene Scott Lang is in, a fucking winner. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> yes, that moment where Paul Rudd is like, hey, do you remember me from the airport? I was the really big guy is so good. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a super frustrating end to the franchise. Like, they promoted it so heavily as being, like, the big event that will, like, wrap things up. And then it just ends by... Uh, um setting up like literally like 10 sequels and tv shows um so it's like you really didn't do the one thing you were supposed to do and i know like obviously they were going to keep making marvel movies um so it's never like going to actually be the end but it's still like you could make it feel like this is actually a movie and not an ad for 20 sequels yeah it it definitely is kind of like a a stop gap between films, which is the thing that I always find really frustrating about the group movies is they just don't feel like they're just not as fun as the, the single movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would probably watch Thor, the dark world over any of the team up movies. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Cause you know what? Uh, at least that's like focus, you know, you you get like three plot lines and you follow them. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird how some people will hate, like, Iron Man 3, and it's like, oh, you hate, like, a real character having, like, things that they go through and then, like, actually work out by the end of the movie? (laughs) I guess we're just, like, very different people. Yeah, though, like, the problem with Iron Man 3 is it was about Iron Man and not about Mm -hmm. 80 different aliens, and it's like, I don't know, I would just not going to see eye to eye on this. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that this movie sets up Falcon and the Winter Soldier by just uh, putting them both at a place where they're like, man, fuck Steve Rogers. I guess we're <laughs> best friends now. <laughs> What's weird is like, fuck they- that guy. We're going to be best friends out of spite. <laughs> What's weird is they don't actually kill off Steve. He's just old, which is not going to stop me from wanting him to blow Bucky. <laughs> 
<laughs> Real swing at a miss if you wanted me to stop wanting him to blow Bucky. I like, I know that this is like time travel goals or whatever, but like the thing that really bothers me about the Captain America like time travels and lives in the past and just doesn't affect anything is it's like, so you're telling me that Steve Rogers knows about 9-11 and doesn't do anything about it. (laughs) What's so weird about that is um, even though time travel has like never been attempted before, they just put in that scene where Bruce Banner with like full confidence is like, no, that's how, that's not how it works. You can't change the past. Um, And it's like a really good scene because I love like, Rhodey and Scott being like like citing hot tub time machine as an argument against what Bruce Banner says but it's like it's very weird in a uh a like time travel sci-fi movie to just have someone like so confidently be like no not how it works and it's like you're supposed to be a scientist you should try a few times before being like no yeah, especially because earlier in the movie, Tony Stark is like, I looked at a time travel and it doesn't work. And then Scott Lang is like, what about this? And he's like, okay, well, that works. And I was like, well, then you can't confidently say, you can't rule it out. <laughs> yeah, like, in, um, as a character thing, I do love that, like, Tony and Bruce are both just, like, saying stuff. <laughs> um, but as far as, like, the logic of it, because, um, yeah, they do want it to be, like, so no, Steve couldn't have stopped 9-11. It's like, no, no, I feel like <laughs> might as well try it. Well, yeah, the weird thing is like he, like Steve Rogers' main character trait is that like people are like, compromises need to be made to keep the natural order of things. And Steve Rogers is like, no, I'm going to do what I think is right. And I don't give a shit about that. Mm-hmm. And so the whole and the thing with people not affecting time travel is like well we don't know what the repercussions are and we can't play god and he's like his character trait is that he doesn't give a shit about those rules <laughs> um yeah i think it's like it the ending where he goes and marries peggy is like a huge disservice to both characters because mm-hmm. steve's like literally the the his whole arc in ultron is him being like oh i actually don't want to live in the past, I want to move forward. And then, like, two movies later, him being like, I'm going to time travel to the past. <laughs> uh, is some weird bullshit. And also, like, jokes aside about Steve not stopping, like, 9-11 or whatever. Like, also, Peggy Carter is an intelligence agent. And if she meets someone from the future, she's not going to be able to deal with them not giving her intelligence mm-hmm. that she can use. Uh, on Hydra, like, she has too much integrity to be like, I'd rather have a hot husband than know uh, where Hydra has infiltrated. Like, she has too much integrity for that. And also, she has kids with someone who's not Steve Rogers, and he writes them out of existence, and that's a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very weird thing where they, it seems like they wanted to, like, write the rules in such a way that it's like they put Steve in this, like, bubble universe simulation where he just, like, got to experience being married to uh, Peggy, but it's not real, which is like interesting because it's like deeply sad if the end of your, um, if like Steve's arc is just like a black mirror where he just chose to uh, spend the rest of his life in a simulation because it was nice. Um, Like that's interesting, but it just feels like they're very much wanting to have it always with this ending. Yeah, I think it would have made, much more sense to have him just legitimately be like I'm retiring 
and going to space. And that would be like frustrating, but it wouldn't have all these like the happy ending they give him is so weirdly dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so and like we write so much of his character traits and Peggy's character traits when like yeah, I guess like it's one of those things where it's like it's clearly meant to be like this is for people who love Steve and love Peggy and love them together. And it's like, but you're not, you don't give a shit about why people like them. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like the thing, yeah. Yeah. the thing that's appealing about Steve is just him just constantly being like, I will not calm down. And then he's just eventually like, what if I kind of chill? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird. I get that. Like Chris Pine doesn't want to, be in the movies anymore and that's fine i kind of almost would rather that his character died because uh i think it would fit the character better and i hate saying that because i do want him to be happy um it's also (laughs) a weird thing because it's like um you know with when it's something is said in the marvel universe uh characters are just around all the time like even if they're not in the movie so it's like it would make sense if you're just seeing movies that it's like, yes, Steve Rogers is out there, but this movie is about Peter Parker. Like that's a normal thing. Um, so it just like felt um, sort of unnecessary to just be like, we aged him 60 years and that's his ending. Yeah. Um, just felt weird that he... Like, he could have at least busted into Hydra and, and gotten Bucky out of the Widow Soldier situation, and that would have <laughs> saved a lot of lives. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, like, two movies worth of catastrophes could have been avoided if he did, like, that one. <laughs> Just... I get that you're not like I know that people aren't supposed to do that in time travel movies. I just, it's hard to believe that Steve, like, wouldn't. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, now that we've talked about each of uh, Sebastian Stan's Marvel movies individually, uh, I would love for you to go on the record about your thoughts on the overall arc of the uh, the Bucky storyline and uh, Bucky and Steve's relationship. Uh, yeah, I find it rather frustrating. Like I said, like so much of Steve's motivations in his in the Captain America movies are about like saving Bucky. Like that's, that's literally why he initially like uh, first goes after the Nazis <laughs> and first uh, and like why he takes on shield and Hydra and like just after he does all of that, um, they just don't hang out anymore or like mm-hmm. have scenes together. And it's so weird from a storytelling perspective and, like, very unsatisfying as a fan. Um, Because, like, it feels like it would be so easy to, like, one, already have them be friends in Civil War. Like, have all that shit happen and then, like, there's a reveal where Steve is like, I know that wasn't Bucky because I've been hiding Bucky in a bunker for like yes. <laughs> months. Like him just showing a thing like, so I can't tell anyone why I know it wasn't you. Um, <laughs> but uh, it would have been like pretty easy to do that because they do exactly that with Marvel and uh, Marvel, uh, Wanda 
and Vision's relationship where they're like, oh, um, off screen, these two have been living together. Uh, mm-hmm. like, um, and I think it would have been really easy in Infinity War to also just have a vibe of like, you know, when Steve shows up for the first fight, just Bucky is right there by. It's that like, it, there's so much shorthand that these movies do to be like, these relationships have been happening and it feels like they go out of their way to be like, absolutely that shorthand is not happening. <laughs> these two people have seen each other. You were like, you, the audience have witnessed every interaction they've had since civil war. Uh, or like, yeah, we, I think we see every time Steven Bucky are in the same room after first Avenger, like all of that is documented on film. There's nothing left off screen. <laughs> And it's uh, it's just really weird, and I think it's like a weird response to how much fans like wanted something romantic to happen between mm-hmm. them because like there was a very vocal like usually like fan stuff stays on the internet, and I feel like there was an actual like very vocal uh, fan base for that couple, or at least for. Steve Rogers to be confirmed as bisexual because he's like definitely picking up Sam Wilson in the uh, Winter Soldier. Like that's absolutely what that scene is. There's not another interpretation of it. <laughs> um, and I feel like Disney got nervous because they obviously like don't want to put gay characters in movies. But I, they're writing the movies. They can just have two male friends platonically like hang out and get coffee without like accidentally writing them getting married (laughs) you're never like writing a scene and being like oh no now they're exchanging vows like you can just have them get coffee and if they're not dating that's they're still not dating if they're getting coffee (laughs) and doing normal friend stuff you can have them do normal stuff and it feels yeah it feels very weird it's um not a great payoff I think Bucky as a character has had a pretty interesting arc in terms of he was like a regular guy and then he had to keep doing soldier stuff because his best friend became Captain America and then he got captured by Hydra and was experimented on and now he's trying to just like be a normal dude because he's just a normal ass dude who didn't ask for any of this (laughs) and I think that's um, definitely something that is enough to explore in a TV show. Like, mm-hmm. them making the Wanda TV show is absolutely something where they're starting from scratch. There's not anything to work with with Wanda there. Um, I like Wanda in the comic books, so I think they definitely will have enough to work with. But, like, in terms of the movie arc, um, her story hasn't made any sense and she's getting a TV show and they're starting from scratch. But I think with Bucky and Sam, there is a solid groundwork where I kind of know what these characters' priorities are, what their characters act like, stuff, basic shit like that, where I was like, you can get 10 episodes of drama out of this. Um, But I do think his arc has been carried much more by Sebastian Stan than by the writing in any regard at all. <laughs> yeah, the I totally agree with everything you say about the relationship between... Um, between Becky and Steve, it's uh, it's very frustrating because it just feels like um, by like totally dropping it, there's this weird sense of them like putting the blame on us and being like, oh, these fangirls just want to see the hot guys have scenes together. And it's just like, 
I'm doing what you told me to do when you made three movies where the important thing is the relationship between Steve and Bucky. Um, and that's just like a really, uh, a really frustrating thing to experience. And um, it's all kind of swirled in with the, uh, the explicitly gay Russo moment and being like, Tony has to be married with the kid. Uh, so that will care about him. And um, just all this, uh, all this stuff making it really frustrating when like, like you said, it just doesn't, it just doesn't have to be that frustrating. They can just uh, write us a, a good Steve and Bucky friendship and not have any scenes where they're boning. And that, that would be like a normal and chill thing for them to do. Yeah. It's yeah. It feels like they're like scared of what would happen if two men stand side by side and banter. And it's like nothing. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It feels like they're like nervous to do a very normal thing which is <laughs> makes me nervous because i feel like they're hiding something now um <laughs> they're also like marvel is just like they're mad at their fans for wanting interesting relationships at all because mm-hmm. like black widow and hawkeye also have like such a good romantic setup and then the movies go out of their way to be like no 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 they love each other more than uh their very lives but he's married, happily married with a bunch of kids, and she's not interested in him at all. And it's like these stories would make so much more sense if they were dating. And I, I respect them for being like, no, men and women can be very good friends who are soulmates. But it's weird, <laughs> also yeah. that they just don't want the fans to have what they want at all. <laughs> and it's weird, like even with a couple like Tony and Pepper, like they used to like have scenes together where they like had some sort of dynamic and then that just like went away. And instead it's like, instead of them like having dialogue exchanges where you feel like they're two interesting people who like each other, you just, you get to just know that they're married and have a kid. (laughs) Yeah. Which is a shame because I really like Pepper as a character and this is the last we see it. And like, yeah, she's, she gets actual scenes in the final movie and all of them are just like i'm the wife who's saying go save the world and that's it and like she's an interesting character <laughs> yeah they're like in their mind they're like no she's not just the wife because we had a scene where she's in an iron man armor suit and attacks someone and it's like that makes a lot less sense than if she was just like his his partner but like actually being a cool person <laughs> Yeah, I think um, just generally Marvel dropped the ball on a lot of relationships and the character Bucky suffers for being the most significant relationship of one of the main Avengers. Um, But uh, what are you going to do? He's getting a TV show and I'm excited for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, speaking of things just kind of fizzling out, uh, (laughs) after... After all that talk about this huge franchise, now we finally are wrapping things up with We Have Always Lived in the Castle. (laughs) There's very little to say about this movie, except that um, it's pretty boring, but Sebastian Stan and Alexandra Daddario are paired together, and they're, like, maybe the two most beautiful people. Um, So I liked that about it. 
Yeah, I would recommend this movie if you are in love with Alexandra uh, Dario and or if you have read We Have Always Lived in the Castle and just want to see a filmed version of it. Um, I wouldn't recommend it like just on its own as a movie. But as someone who read the book, it was like fun to see a live action version of it. Um, much in the same way that just watching any comic book movie is just <laughs> fun to see those characters. Um, it's it's got uh, some real solid performances. Crispin Glover is there just doing a super weird Crispin Glover thing. Uh, like he's clearly having fun. Um, Sebastian Stan plays, uh, you know handsome bad boy who's definitely going to ruin your life which mm-hmm. is a solid niche yeah um it's yeah if you liked the book and just want to see it visually <laughs> i would recommend it but like the main thing that's good about the book is the writing style and that's obviously not in the movie at all <laughs> yeah um yeah Alexander Daddario was, like, really good in this, though. Like, I didn't realize what a strong performer she is before this movie. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, re- I really liked all of her scenes with Sebastian Stan. Yeah, um, he is good in the movie. Um, he plays Cousin Charles, and uh, if you give a shit about the book, that means something to you, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, let's uh, do some superlatives uh i'm gonna give my gold star to kings uh i considered going with captain america the first avenger because i do like it a lot um but just thinking about like what is like what i would really want people to take away as something to watch i think like kings is really interesting and is like one of the few things that i can solidly say like there's nothing else like this so you really should uh check it out um so that's what I'm going with. Uh, yeah, Kings is also my number one pick. I I was a little torn because, like, Kings is one of my favorite shows and Captain America uh, Winter Soldier is one of my favorite movies, but I think Kings definitely has more substance and is a better showcase. And also, like, you, if you would like to see the Captain America movies, you've seen them by now. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this small NBC series um, that's like only streaming on the NBC app, mm-hmm. or if you like, if like me, you bought the DVDs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you have not heard of the show. Um, it's, yeah, I think just a really, the it's really good at being a TV show. Like mm-hmm. it feels smart, but it also like has episode plots, just a thing that you and I talk about a lot. We're like, <laughs> just like, feel like they don't have to do anything it's all set up um it's it was canceled after the season and it's that's really disappointing because it was definitely like gearing up for some cool stuff but I always feel like I get a satisfactory story out of watching the season and just um really great performances and I think it says some interesting stuff about power while also like not not being gossip girl (laughs) (laughs) yes um all right, uh, for my black ball, I am going with uh, Infinity War. I'm not here is probably maybe an even worse movie, but nothing made me more depressed about just uh, 
the state of film and the state of the world <laughs> than uh, sitting through Infinity War. Terrible experience uh, and just really um, is such a showcase for just like everything that is uh, that is bad about the film industry and Disney and all that stuff. And um, is just truly not enjoyable on any level, despite having like a lot of uh, attractive people playing uh playing characters that i care about in other movies yeah um i think because you said that i'm gonna go with i'm not here (laughs) um uh, yeah i'm i'm torn between i'm not here and the architect because they both bother me in the same way where like it's a really good cast and you feel like they could have done something with this if they had like just been better at doing their job (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like the problem isn't the actors it's that you guys just didn't know how to turn this into turn this into something uh that's frustrating to me as a writer who can't like get anything made (laughs) right oh there are people out here who like have a draft and they don't give a shit and they can get it made with like viola davis or jk simmons or whoever (laughs) um not great. Yeah. Uh, he, Sebastian Stan is in some bad stuff. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> I watched a lot of real mediocre things for this project, but I, I'm glad to say that I did it and I can see the the full range of his career. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's uh, wind things down with a fuck, Mary kill of all of Sebastian Stan's characters. Um, I'm definitely gonna fuck Carter Bazin. He seems like he fucking knows what to do. Um, I'm gonna marry, uh, Bucky Barnes. And I guess I gotta kill, uh, Tanya Harding's husband. I can't think of any (laughs) worse guy he's ever been than that. I know it's, like, awkward, because that's also the only real guy he's played. But, uh, all all of his other guys are pretty (laughs) solid, so... (laughs) I mean, okay, if we're being realistic here, <laughs> okay. um, ignoring, of course, the fact that I uh, am not attracted to men, <laughs> <laughs> um, probably if I were to fuck any of them, it would be um, the stand-up comic that I'm dying up here because I am a comedian <laughs> in Los Angeles, and I feel like uh, that's that's who would get me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get competitive about who's more funny, and then you're like, ah, damn it. Uh, that's... <laughs> Oh, you know what? I actually just realized I forgot someone. I'm going to kill Mad Hatter because I truly just do not know what's going on with him, but I feel like he could end the world at any moment. Who knows? (laughs) Here's the problem is I really like his piece of shit characters. It makes this uh, who to marry question pretty tough. Um, (laughs) I would absolutely marry uh, his character from Kings or his... He's scared of Captain America, knowing full well that I will be brutally murdered for doing so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? I love them. Little scamps. The yep. both of them. Um, and then, yeah, I would probably kill... Uh, you know what? Uh, his character from the bronze. A uh, real douchebag. Just oh, uh, get rid enough. of him. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'd also kill this character from the apparition uh, out of self-defense because he's haunted. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a smart move. (laughs) That's more doing him a favor. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Uh, this has been so great. Uh, thank you for coming and just being my number one Bucky Barnes expert. Um, I loved listening to it. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I guess uh, you can see me um, tweet once a year about Kings on my Twitter <laughs> at Sarah Golub. Uh, Sarah doesn't have an H. Golub does. Find it. Uh, <laughs> um, and of course, uh, my audio drama, uh, Odin, a show that we absolutely would never be able to afford Sebastian Stan on. <laughs> so pretty unrelated to this podcast, but it's a good time. Oh, I have I have a new podcast called Historical Hookups. Um, you can find it on Twitter at Historical Hooks or search whatever your podcatcher of choices for Historical Hookups. It's me and uh, three other female comedians talking about uh, sexy time hookups throughout history involving famous people. It's a good time. It's got the same horny energy as this podcast has had. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Uh, Lenny, oh, go ahead. Um, I came in here as a diehard Sebastian Stan fan uh, going on 10 plus years now. <laughs> Um, I don't know how much of uh, his work you've seen before I made you do this. Uh, do you feel like you learned something new about this actor? <laughs> um, just like, I don't watch a lot of movies in general. So like, other than Bucky Barnes, I really do think of him as like Gossip Girl. And like, I hadn't even seen Kings, but like, kings uh and like political animals um so it's nice watching like stuff like the martian and i Tanya and being like oh yeah he's a real actor good for him i'm sorry i only think about him when i rewatch gotham girl yeah i i also don't really watch movies <laughs> and i think yeah my takeaway from doing this experience and like making myself watch stuff I normally was going to do a hard pass on is that like I feel better about his career because I definitely do think of him as like a TV guy who somehow lucked into those Marvel movies it feels so much like we're living in the only timeline where he is not a dad on the CW yeah <laughs> and so it is nice to actually be like to, I feel like I understand that his career is in a, in a I'm like I'm his fucking agent or something. He's like, no, it's, this is going well. Things are going well. He's he's in the public consciousness. People know about him. He's you know he's building his way up. <laughs> uh, but it's it's nice to see an actor that I first uh, grew to appreciate on television actually having a career that I feel like they deserve because mm -hmm. he is. A genuinely good actor um and also like doesn't take himself super fucking seriously the way that sometimes like yeah like it's i like christian bale but it's like hard to enjoy his films because he always seems like he's so serious about them <laughs> <laughs> all right um everyone uh uh check out uh next month's podcast will be on scream queen uh barbara crampton and it will be the series finale of the filmographers. I'm gonna uh, start up another podcast soon that will involve uh, watching fewer terrible movies that I have no interest in. Um, Smart, so, yes. yes. <laughs> <Good move. laughs> uh, you can follow me at Lenny Burnham 
you can also look up uh, the Major Casts Podcast Network to hear more about all of our podcasts, including uh, whatever I may do next. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.